Hello again, everybody, and welcome to 2024. It's the first Jim Cornette experience of the new year, a brand new year with the same crummy old wrestling, but we'll have fun making fun of it in all brand new ways. And joining me on this journey through a new year, Hawaiian Brian, the podcasting lion, the king of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network, Mr. Co-host to you, I'm Father Time, and he's the New Year's baby. The great Brian Last, everybody. Aloha, Jim. A pleasure to be here once again. Well, hold on. You uh, said my name a couple times. Where's this thing? I got this thing. Hold on. We just did it in sync before. All right. Well, thank you very much. Some way or another, we're going to be able to figure out how to play tiptoe through the tulips on this thing, and it's going to go viral. Well, speaking of viral... It's great to be here today. Today, I can't even speak. Well, I'm here and everyone's sick and it's viral and we're all going down. It's viral. Going down like a circus seal. Are you you sound like you might need to be put down shortly. If there there's sickness in your in your family, in your household there, there's there's chaos of mother nature outside. You're snowed in, you've been shoveling to try to get to the part where maybe even a an emergency vehicle might be able to access you there in the wilds of New Jersey. You got a lot going on up there, my boy. Brand new year. How's it starting out for you? Brand new year. I wanted a snowstorm. We got one. Our first serious <laughs> snowfall in two years. And New York City got barely anything. We've got about seven or eight inches here. And I was just outside shoveling. That's why I'm a little cranky and out of breath. And but you, what, what you just out? said you wanted a snowstorm. Well, what was like? I you, didn't want to work in it. I wanted to sit down and admire it from the, not the distance, but inside the house. But instead, I had to well, go outside then why and shovel. Did you, why'd you go out there with that shovel in? If if you see, you you don't know what you got till it's gone, and you and and I don't know what kind of simile I'm trying to make. You wish for things that then you get in them. You don't want them. You're not as Mama Cornette used to say. You would complain if they hung you with a brand new rope. You got the snowstorm you asked for. You didn't have to go out there with that shovel. You could have sent the kids. No, well, the thing I have has a lithium-ion battery. I don't want to send them out there with that and have them, you know, potentially mess around too much. So I went out there with what this. What the fuck are they going to do with a lithium-ion battery? When I was a kid, my mother gave me a sharp stick and said, go climb something. Well, no, I got this new shovel. It's called the Snow Joe. <laughs> and it's like, it's a shovel with a battery, and instead of just you having to lift and strain your back, you push it, and it acts almost like a snow blower, but it's a shovel, and it's pretty good, and it's uh, cordless. Did you have something like this last year, or am I having deja vu all over again? We had no snow last year. No, a few years ago, I tried an electric snow blower, and it was a disaster, and it didn't work. This is the Snow Joe. <laughs> I don't know why I'm giving him free publicity, but there it is. I saw it on CBS Deals, and I bought it for the holidays, and it's coming in handy. I just let the shit pile. If it's going to pile up, it's going to pile up. And and what I do is I got Black Beauty in the garage. I open the garage door. I put it in four-wheel drive, put it in reverse, and gun to some of it. I've got out in 14 inches of snow. I've gone right out. And there, you, and there it That's became. That's the problem. I need someone to plow the driveway because I, I don't have a giant truck like you do. Well... I don't know Then you should buy a big fucking truck or I don't just want get that. big tires on your little vehicle. Have I like one of those, things. one of those fucking Cretans that runs around with the goddamn tires, six feet tall on a fucking Honda Civic. What is that all about? I don't know. I wouldn't do that, but 
We are here, and uh, <clears throat> what a show so far. Well, a thing, I, hey, I was trying to give you the chance to shine in the brand new year. I just asked you right before we went on the air. I said, do you mind if I don't take this altogether too seriously, this program here today? Because, again, I've realized that what we have ended up here, what we have ended up here, what we have ended up with here is the same old stupid shit in a brand new year. They couldn't even give us the daggum holiday break we planned without people saying or doing stupid shit in the wrestling business. And, and, and it's usually the same kind of, you know, mistake or stupid thing repeated over and over. So every once in a while, somebody breaks through and is an innovator and stupid like Jericho was over the holidays. But, you know, we're going to have to figure out new ways to psychoanalyze these individuals and their efforts going forward. Because it's a brand new year, we need to have a, a new attitude about things. And I've got one of my attitudes is I don't give a sh I don't give a French fried titty fuck what uh, what anybody thinks about what I say anymore. Where did you get that expression? You've made it famous, but where did you it's, get it? It's it's just it's from years ago. I've heard somewhere. I think of all the weird places I've been and the unusual individuals that I've been around, at least peripherally, at least for some 40 something years of my life. And, and I'm surprised I don't speak 16 dead languages besides Carney. Anyway, so today what we're going to do is, is we're going to bring people up to date uh, on thankfully not too much, but a little wrestling television since the last, we had that marathon drive through your program where we had to go into granular detail on all the chaos and stupid drama that had gone on in the business, if you will, since we had tried to take our break. And so today we're, we're just, we're going to slow down a little bit on my show. We're going to have some fun and we're going to enjoy ourselves. What did you do to enjoy yourself over the Christmas and New Year break that we barely got? Well, we had a lot of work, so I had that, and that was so much fun. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, the kids opening their gifts. Really, it's about enjoying the reaction of the kids to the holidays. And the reaction to the kids sounds like it. And then when you plug their, their toy in and it shocks them and you see their reaction. No, like we got them bumper cars. Sounds like a science experiment. Oh, you got them bumper cars. So they drive around now just bumping into each other. Well, that's good fucking, uh, uh, I got you know, snow Joe. <laughs> got well, snow it, it, Joe. That's a good preface for the New Jersey turnpike. When they get 16 and get their driver's license, they'll have the bumper car experience to, you know, to tie them up. You know what I did for the first time in, I don't know how long eons and eons. I took a few days and went downstairs and played some pool on my billiard table. You any good? Well, I'm. I, I could probably whip your ass. I don't know I've about that, Kentucky I've, Fats. I don't know about that. Well, I'll tell you what. We'll whack the lights out, baby. But no, I, I used I used to be quite proficient when I was a teenager. My cousin Larry used to like to take me to play pool. He had his own cue stick. He had a little th a little uh, carrying case, and it unscrewed in the middle. And he, that's he badass. That's such a badass move. You know, it, it was it was it was very cool. It was the thing in the seventies that became a thing for a while. I think that was right after the kung fu craze and right before disco. 
when they remembered Paul Newman. Yeah. But uh, and and as a matter of fact, Jackie Gleason was uh, once again showed his insane range as Minnesota Fats, who was based on a a character that uh, once used the fra- the name New York Fats. He wrote a book, The Bank Shot, and I'm trying to remember his given Christian name, but he was from like Southern Illinois, around Carbondale or whatever. Fascinating book, probably completely full of shit, but old time. 30s and 40s and 50s pool hustlers remind you of the 30s and 40s and 50s wrestlers. So it was kind of the same. Before I even knew about wrestling, I liked the the uh, the carnies and the con artists. That's why we're I'm a, I'm, I think we're friends, right? That's why we're friends. Yeah, because I know all of them. You well, you know all of them. You can introduce me to all of them. Anyway, but besides that, spending time rubbing Harley's belly. I what there we Stace and I actually took some time and watched a documentary series on Vice TV. I get it's it was on demand. I don't know when this aired. It's fairly recent, uh, but a six-part documentary series on the uh, James Bond. The but not just the movies centering on the movie franchise, but on starting with Ian Fleming's books and a little bio of Ian Fleming, and then. James Bond's effect on popular culture and how he had to change or not change with the times and blah, 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 and all the backstage contract disputes with Sean Connery and Roger Moore and whoever else the case may be. And it was very, people should check that out before they go completely. I can't keep track of which part of Vice is bankrupt. All of it. At some point, it's going to probably trickle through. So... (laughs) While that's available to you, folks, Which go to part? that. Well, there, there's there's so many different tentacles of that organization. Um, well, production's bankrupt, but catering's doing just fine. Catering is sold out. They're all sitting there wondering where their next meal is coming from at catering. But anyway, nevertheless, speaking of where your next big announcement is coming from, ladies and gentlemen, I am going to have a big announcement next week here on the Jim Cornette Experience. And and I, I, I know that Tony Khan has set the bar, set the precedent. These announcements have got to be major. This is going to knock your socks off. Next week concerning the second and final climactic, if you will, part of the Midnight Express 40th anniversary celebration that we began with the exclusive limited edition action figure four-pack set with the book and the certificate and the autograph photo, which, by the way, around 500 are still available at jimcornet.com since you got some Christmas money now. But next week, a, a big announcement of how this is going to be the second and final, at least in any major shape or form, wave of Midnight Express merchandise anniversary celebration news. We got that going for us. All right. What do you have any big announcements on your show that you can lead to? My big announcement is I'm uh we've been working nonstop. I'm just doing more shows. Are you gonna see you you're so frazzled you can't form a cogent simile? Are you going to reveal yourself on the drive through next week as that you were the devil all along? No, I was the angel. You got, no, yeah, I think you've had it out for MJF because you you know, you guys both are, are from Long Island. I had it out from you thinking I'm the devil. Adam Cole revealed himself to be the no, devil. You're Adam saying Cole that was a is, false reveal? 
I'm saying that Adam Cole is working for you. This is all part of your, you're pulling the strings here because look, stand next to Adam Cole. I've seen both of you. You look like Lex Luger next to Adam Cole. You kick the shit out of him. I would destroy him. So I bet you, I bet you went and, and you snatched him by the scruff of the neck and said, like Roy Welch, when he took over Tennessee, Hey pal, you're working for me now. And then you're going to be revealed as the one that was pulling the whole strings. Cause you, the, the spooky devil music. Is right is from the synthesizer you he doesn't got have there. Music. The, You're thinking of the Black the, Scorpion. The Black Scorpion had a synthesizer behind him. The devil doesn't have any music. Well, the devil had the spooky video and the. You're thinking of Don Callis. You're thinking of Don Callis, the other guy with devilish music. Oh well, no, he's just spooky. He's actually he's creepy more than spooky. He's I got mean, the dark could, music, and the other guys have the lights go. Everyone has a little bit of the devil in their act in AEW. You figured out a way to break into their signals. I don't know about it's that. all I'm saying to you. And Why look would at I the do Max, that? Max Headroom, you're taking it to a new level. Why would I do that? Let's just play with this ridiculous idea for a moment. I'm a fan of MJF. I don't know because why until, I would want to hurt until him. Until MJF came along, you were the most famous denizen or citizen of Long Island in the wrestling business until MJF came along and had it written all across the back of his robe. Well, that's fine. I'm still the best looking, so I have that going for me. But I'm a fan of MJF. Why, if I was going to do any of this, why would I hire Adam Cole? Why would well, I hire Taven and Bennett and Roderick Strong? Wardlow, I mean, I could see some yeah. use of, for Wardlow. Well, why would you hire the other? Well, is this some kind of Monroe Brothers <laughs> operation yeah, exactly. up there? That you, that, are they your Monroe Brothers? Ryan, you're smart. You have money. Why don't you hire the biggest goofs you can? Why would okay, I do that? Okay, all right. You got me there. All right, yeah, you, you, you got me there. I'd hire David Schultz. I'd start with that. Because even though he's older, he'd scare the shit out of anyone. <laughs> so that's the first person as part of my devil if, stable. Hey, if you wheel David Schultz into that <laughs> locker room in a wheelchair, and as Chief J. Strongbow would say, hooked up to an iron lung, the guys would still run and scatter. There has to be something there. Just have him on TV doing promos for someone. I'd pay I to see that. I don't know what network might air. <laughs> I, I think he's too strong for some people's home movies. So, no. uh, all right, enough tomfoolery. We got to catch up a little bit uh, with the viewers, the listeners, the cult of Cornet, the people out there. And this is by no means a complete compilation, but there are some emails that I've gotten. And, and that I've actually seen, and as well, uh, a couple of clarifications or comments on some things we've spoken about recently. So I wanted to bring that up here at the top of the program so people don't think that this is not... It, it, it's an audience participation program, because we, if we didn't have an audience, we wouldn't be doing a fucking program now, would we? So we value you, you people. What kind of people are you people out there? What was that? Tom Teletoo. <laughs> <laughs> All right. See, now this is, see, I've got to, I think almost have to, yeah, I'll switch because that would be a horrible transition now to go from tomfoolery to something is. I will mention that Theo from South Adelaide, Australia wrote us, you and I both, Brian. He said, hello, Jim and Brian. How are you both? That's how I know he's addressing both of us. 
And he said, I just want to say thank you both for providing me the opportunity to listen to one of the best wrestling podcasts ever. One of. Uh, whether I'm walking with my two-year-old pug Shih Tzu Chihuahua dog. Oh, so it's a pug what? slash. It's a pug. It's a combination. An interspecies mingling. Why did he say dog, though? I mean, that's what makes it sound fake almost. Well, no, a pug, a Shih Tzu, and Chihuahua dog. Okay. Here's my, the, the, here's my golden retriever dog. I mean, who talks like that? Well, he's from South Adelaide, Australia. People from down south. I understood him just fine. Here's my Pomeranian dog. He's He's got a southern accent. A southern African accent? Southern South Adelaide, Australia. He's from South Adelaide. Oh, they said South Africa, South Australia. No, South Africa, Australia. What are you... I wrote Africa. <laughs> Let me cross out Africa. Take one week off and you fall apart. Australia. Whether he's walking his dog, who is a combination of a pug a shih tzu or a cho and a chihuahua and his dog's name is is basil by the way and well or whether he's driving around or doing chores at home he's always listening to the podcast because he's then i will paraphrase what he wrote that he's suffered from depression and anxiety and he his wife stacy supports him as well as the aforementioned dog basil but we want him to be feel supported by us as well. And he, we cheer him up a little bit. So continue the process, Theo. We wish you the best. You think he named the dog after Basil Faulty? I thought it was Basil Rathbone. Any famous wrestlers ever named Basil? God damn it. I can't Besides, think of one. Bas Basil DeVito worked for the office in the WWF that for doesn't count. That doesn't many, count. many years. But I don't think he, they ever had him wrestle. <laughs> Um, a wrestler named come on now people come on people now smile on your brother everybody get together and write us and tell us if there's ever been a wrestler named Basil because I can't if I and you or possibly you and I either one can't think of it who could it be I don't know you know the We Five had a minor hit song with that a few years before the Youngbloods what? you were just singing Get together. Oh, I thought you meant the fucking wrestler named Basil. Oh, God damn it. I got no crickets. I got to get the crickets now. You son of a bitch. You know what else I got on this? Hold You're on. You're going to hit me with the crickets. I've been waiting for this one. <laughs> and even better. Hold on. Put you back in the Mid-South mood. There we go. That that is a that is a healthy a healthy set of booze. I have uh, oh wait my that one uh, the one I had booze on uh, the battery died. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> all right, straighten up here for one second. We got an email, and this uh, unfortunately it came in around the Thanksgiving holiday, and no, it didn't. It was forwarded to me. <laughs> In the middle of December, but it originated the Thanksgiving holiday, so it's we're all behind on this. But it's from our friend Leor, and uh, everybody that listens to the drive-through remembers Leor is in the past sent some of the funniest song submissions that we play that we have just ever heard, and he was a cult favorite, if you will, on the program. But Leo, Leor, obviously, 
And English is a second language for him, but he wrote this back at uh, Thanksgiving time. Hello, Jim and Brian. I want to thank you both on keeping me sane and laughing on this troubled times in Israel and especially in the city where I live, Ashkelon? Yeah, you got it. Is that okay? Since the 7th of October, Nazis, monsters, Hamas launched over a thousand rockets into Ashkelon, and we had some infiltrations by terrorists who were luckily stopped by the Israeli security forces. And let's not talk about my heart, mind, and thoughts being with the kidnapped in Gaza and with our soldiers, we fight Hamas in Gaza. So thanks again. You have no idea how much the drive-through and the experience helped me in these difficult times. And that, you know, I mean, we can talk about seeing it on the news or whatever, or reading the papers or, say, the Twitter or social media, but when somebody you know and and... We have, obviously, the listeners know who he is because of the stuff that we played of his, and a great guy, you know, he's right in the middle of this shit. So, even though it's late, Lior, we wanted to let you know that we were thinking of you, and we wanted to read that. And if you care about those troops, don't play them any of your music. Well, no. When did they do that? When <laughs> I'm was, kidding. Was, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, was that like? In, didn't they do that in Vietnam? Help me out once again. One of the history buffs out there, because Brian has just brought this up on the sperm of the moment. But they played like in the '60s, I guess, in Vietnam. I think it may have been just fucking Creedence Clearwater and rock and roll, and they piped it into the enemy camps to just just drive them into a tizzy apparently i remember hearing that story on some type of documentary that's what the idf should do is take some of leor's best hits and blast them yes <laughs> and just sit in the loudest <laughs> loudspeaker hanging from a goddamn fucking aircraft carrier that has ever been to just blast it to ear piercing levels it would drive them all back to the fucking far side of the moon hamas would even take a second is he singing ozzy what yeah, the fuck my God, it's an Aussie mutant. <laughs> but anyway, all right. Stay all safe, right. Lior. Stay safe. Yes. We, we wish you and your family the best and safety. Absolutely. Um, and uh, while we're down just a little bit, uh, we got to recognize Andy from Michigan wrote, and he, it's a long email. I won't make us all want to fucking cry. But he lost his best friend, Jim Hall, in 2023 from renal failure, and they listened to our shows together and, and were on the road, in the car, uh, et cetera, at various places listening to us. And, you know, so, Andy, we just wanted to let you know that we're sorry to hear about Jim. And But thank you, and for watching my The Cornet Shoot interview on VHS in the hotel after the shows over and over and over. And uh, hopefully you will still do that or maybe even get a new one available at jimcornet.com. Some newer stuff. Well, you can't and, pull and, your merch right now in the middle well, of Well, I mean, you know, I mean, it's a captive audience. He's obviously, he's proven <laughs> oh that he's. <laughs> no, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> But that, that is the demographic. People who have proven they like to watch my shit, there's more of my shit available there. How does it feel to you when people do say to you, 
even, you know, there are people who come to you and they say, I saw you on TBS or I saw you on WWF TV when I was a kid or Smoky Mountain TV or wherever you worked, everywhere. But then there are people that will say, I saw you on these interviews and I learned much from hearing you talk about the philosophy of wrestling and the psychology of wrestling. What do you think about that? You know, 25 years ago or whatever, I would I wouldn't have been doing it to begin with. And, you know, and I would have been mortified. My God, I'm teaching. People. But I've said this before. At some point, it was useless and at least try to get the proper information out and at least try to explain to to people who really care about wrestling or fans of wrestling or the, you know, the guys involved or whatever what what it was really rather than what people seem to the superficial fucking impression they have taken away in the modern era right it's like if if people thought that if you were a, you're a baseball fan today brian but a certain segment of your fellow baseball fans were to feel that before <laughs> 30 years ago, it was just a bunch of fat guys out there swinging fucking two-befores at, at, you know, balls and catching them with fucking nets or something. And there, there was significantly more to it than that. And, and or maybe the, the, you know, sometimes the stories you would get from the generation of baseball players that uh, you're trying to be educated about that era... They're pissed off at, at certain people and fucking grumpy as a whole or didn't really grasp the overall. We've seen that a million times. A lot of the guys that had an innate ability to be natural in the ring couldn't grasp the overall concept of the business and how the territories and the promoters work together and et cetera. It was all, ah, they're all out to get us. That type of thing. Should it be a requirement? Like, look at developmental now, and obviously it was different when you had it and you tried to do this. But should there be a course about wrestling history? You need the right people to teach it. But beyond just here's the history of wrestling, in terms of actually teaching the lessons, booking psychology, why things are done, why things aren't done, should that be done? Should it be done in a serious way? Well, yes, but uh, yes with a with a caveat. If you... <laughs> The first couple of years that you taught that course, because it would take at least that long to get a background like you would have gotten from working the territories and seeing the veterans and actually, and, and then, you know, experiencing things. If they taught that, the talent would be fucking hanging themselves over it because they would be then going out on television and being told by the writers to violate everything they were being taught if they were taught the proper shit because none of this none of what's going on today as the filler for for the wwe program and most all of AEW, it all violates every goddamn logical psychological rule of wrestling at the psychological rule of wrestling is still being honored by the main event shit in the WWE now, where Triple H and and or his minions in charge, at least with the main event guys, they've got that, they've made some stars, and they've got different matchups, and they're not burning them all out. 
And and the people involved in that picture, for the most part, are not involved in tomfoolery nor dealing with, you know, underneath preliminary talent as e presented as equals, nor uh, taking uh, a ridiculous risk of being injured in the middle of this and screwing shit up. That's taking place at the top of the WWE and not even in the middle or at the bottom of the WWE, and almost not at all in AEW. So if you taught that in, in NXT or developmental, the guys would be going, what the fuck? This is what this thing is and where it came from and the psychology behind it and how to get people interested and draw money and get personalities over, and we violate that on almost every television program we produce. How would that work? You would almost need separate courses for in-ring psychology and then booking psychology to say, here's what you do and don't do in the ring, but also here's why, <laughs> what it could cause. And here, I mean, if you were really going to try to take a wrestling education course or series of courses seriously, it could really be a big program. Yeah, and it, by the time that they graduated from this thing with their PHFD, as in PH-fucking-D, they'd all be 35 years old and put them in the ring. Is, you know, I think the horse has left the barn on all of this. See, I told you I wasn't going to take anything too. Normally, I'd be ranting and raving. Well, goddamn, they ought to do that. Ah, fuck it. It's over with. Call it. I don't think the rain's going to let up. Can I give you another email from Jason, who was talking to you also? Okay. All right. Well, actually, I, I think it's you. He said, Jim, I would like to thank you and brain last. That's me. Okay. For help keeping me sane over the last few years, uh, he, apparently in 2018, he broke his neck. Ooh. And then it, it, it through a variety of things taking place, he uh, ended up being homeless during the pandemic. And But that's when he discovered the experience in the drive-thru. And he says, I'm so thankful for the both of you and the hours of entertainment that has helped me over the last five years. And, you know, I'm here's now, here's the thing. How did you, was he, did he discover the experience during the pandemic or did he discover it when he was homeless? Are we big amongst the homeless community? How would the, the shows be being transmitted? Certainly if you have a way to listen to a podcast, if you would, uh, Jason. Yeah, if you have a smartphone, then you go to Starbucks and you download the podcast. Free Wi-Fi. God damn. All you need is a smartphone. He can order food from his box. What the fuck? DoorDash will bring it right over. But now I can see having a home, but no, no phone, but I can't see having a phone. Did I say that right? I can see having a home, but no phone, <laughs> but not having a phone, but no home. I would think that would, that, that. Yeah. Well, that just, Mama Cornette wouldn't understand that either. You could, you could have a house. Before you would have a phone, but I guess in her day you you'd have to have a long ass fucking cord to have a phone without a house. I remind you, this is the same Jim and Brain that kept this man sane during his battle with homelessness. Well, <laughs> but we we hope you're back home, Jason. But Wherever that, that may be. What? Well, now here's something. Maybe that's. You know what? Now I figured it out. It's kind of an offshoot of what you said earlier. 
You see that a lot of these cities are trying to run the homeless people off instead of giving them a place to live. They just want to run them somewhere else. So they probably put our podcasts on the loudspeaker we were talking about before. They would play Lior's songs and, and they played them to the homeless until they left. Maybe that's why our downloads went up during the pandemic so strongly. You have no, uh, is, is there any data to reflect that in our, uh, no, or uh, I knew you're going to fucking wear that out. I don't know about the homeless, uh, bump in the numbers. I don't know about that, but well, all you need so- is a smartphone. Homeless people have smartphones. You don't. Well, good for them. They deserve them. Cause they got time to fuck with it, figure out how it works and get mad and goddamn cuss and yell when it doesn't work i'm a busy man i don't have time to go through these things maybe we can make this a weekly segment we call a random homeless person and ask them how they're doing well how are you going to get the homeless person's phone number they could email us how are they going to email homeless they've got from their phone too? From, from their, their smartphone phone? god damn it they just got to go to starbucks get some free wi-fi or dunkin donuts wherever the free wi-fi is free and then they can get in touch with the show and say here's my number give me a call i'm a bum Maybe they wouldn't call themselves a bum. I'm I'm struggling, and I listened to the podcast. Well, yeah, that, that showed a, a, a real empathy on your part, Mister Mister Liberal. Yeah, yeah, I'm a bum. They're a they're a, a homely challenged person. If they are they are at a financial disadvantage, we have caught them where they would gladly pay us Tuesday for a hamburger today. There's no shame in that, but I didn't know you'd have a phone and email and. A fucking phone number. I get an OnlyFans account. I don't know what else without having a fucking house to live in. Seems like that would be the primary thing that you would, and then things would would branch off from that. I've lived in a couple of places where I've I've lived in it, and I didn't have a phone for a couple of weeks. When I first moved in, I didn't have time to get the well, What the fuck? But I wouldn't have got the phone, but not had, a, had been slept in the parking lot for two weeks. If you're homeless and you have a phone, should you use that phone to film like a little web series? Maybe get some attention? No, homeless Adventures? I, I would homeless Adventures of Brooklyn? I would, I would try to figure out a way to make some money with this goddamn computer I've got in my pocket so I could go get me a room at Super 8. <laughs> well, I'm saying this could be a way to make money. They can create a web series. Well, it seems like they'd have been frozen half to death by the time that that web series catches on. That sounds like a season finale if I ever heard of one. <laughs> yeah. Thought the idea was just to goddamn get a fucking place to live. If you don't help me, I'm going to freeze in the season finale. And then that's the cliffhanger. How, how about, okay, here I like am. who shot I'm, JR? I'm, I'm fucking so-and-so and I, my specialties are this net and, and the other thing, or I could dig a good hole or whatever. And I'm standing here at the corner of fourth and Broadway between the hours of nine and noon on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. If somebody would like to hire me, please come by and pay me some money to do something so I can go and get a house or a home or a fucking room or a fucking roof. New phone. Well, no, the phone apparently works. But if you get the latest one, you can maybe get faster internet. Oh, God damn. Download the apps faster. If you the don't podcast. have if you don't have a place to sleep that's not the ground or pavement, I don't think you need faster internet. I don't know. I guess the West Coast will let us know. 
Well, it is. It's better weather out there. And anyway, again, I'm trying to get some sad news out here, and you keep going into the frivolity. Ricky from Arkansas, who wrote, who he and his friend Lance Smith, who was AKA Smitty, that's what everybody knew him as. As a matter of fact, Smitty was a good friend of Randy Hales's also, because they were they're all from Arkansas and Missouri and various parts thereabout. But um, Ricky and and Smitty were both old Mid South fans and. Smitty had done some wrestling on the Indies, and he passed away in, um, oh my gosh, I think the month escapes me, but he's recently passed away in the last little while, and we just wanted to recognize him. And it, the again, the email is very long, but uh, about some of the adventures they had in indie wrestling in that part of the country with some people that I'm aware of and know who they were. So it, it brought a smile to my face and I'm glad that you guys could enjoy listening to the programs and Smitty loved me. And I didn't think he was too bad himself, but anyway, um, what else have we got here? You've thrown me all out. And here's another thing. I've got no light today in the office. Well, because it's a dark and drismal day. You complain about the snow. We've got the cold and the rain and the clouds and the damp and the muck and the gloom and the mud. And I don't like to turn these big fluorescent lights I got over my broadcast position here on because normally if i open the curtains it's a nice sunny day i can see my notes there's plenty of light but now it's gloomy and doomy but if i turn these glaring lights on i've heard that if you sit underneath fluorescent lights it can cause brain damage and memory loss too and i've also heard that if you sit under fluorescent lights it can cause brain damage and memory loss so i don't like to do that but, so I can see this, where is it? Ah, here we go. Dear Jim and Brian, see, the listeners are, are including you constantly. With only two shows left in 2023, I've been looking into how Dynamite and Collision have fared filling the arenas Tony hires to host his TV. And if, if the word hires didn't give you a clue, this is from Chris in Leeds, Yorkshire. They, they say hire instead of rent over there in that application. So basically, he's compiled these numbers. How close to the venue capacity every dynamite and collision came in 2023? Would you like to hear this? Yeah, I would. Because there were 77 TV tapings in 2023, Dynamite or Collision, right? Of them, how many do you think drew more than 50% of the hosting arena's actual capacity? Dynamite and Collision. Dynamite and Collision. Because Collision has run some smaller buildings compared to some of these Dynamites we've seen in giant ones, so we're doing an average here. Or we're doing a overall. Well, no, we're do, we're do, no, we're doing numbers in in 2020. Now you've confused the issue again. So I a, thought you were the smart one doing math. Out of 70 something shows, 77 TV tapings. How many of uh, Dynamite and Collision? How many managed to draw more than 50 percent of the host building's capacity? Six. Two. Wow. Two. 
the January 11th Dynamite in the Kia Forum, which was the match seven in the trios title best of seven series that, that the Buckaroos, when they made their six-man belts for their themselves and their friends, right? They hit 65% of the Kia Forum. And the June 26th Dynamite in the, where is the Wind Trust Arena? I recognize the name of the arena and I'm trying to remember where it was. Wind Trust, Wind Trust Arena is in Chicago. Aha! Well, on June 26, they they had an advertised appearance by CM Punk and hit 59%. And otherwise, would you like to know the lowest capacity, the lowest percentage of the arena, hosting arena that they filled of the year 2023. So if they had like a 20,000 seat building and they had like 900 people there. Yeah, yeah. What what is the the lowest percentage of capacity that they filled for a, for an arena of the year? I don't have any way to guess. I don't know. <laughs> September 13th Dynamite in the Heritage Bank Center, John Moxley's hometown show in Cincinnati. 14% of the total oh. real Capacity of the arena, 29 of the 77 shows, 38% sold less than a quarter of the venue's capacity. And then one final statistic, they had two shows in the Kia Forum. Both of them were advertised as Young Bucks hometown shows. And it went from the January 11th, 65% to the November 27% in the same building. Yeah, why do you think they went home with their tail between their legs? They know that they don't even have the fan base anymore. Uh, so that, but, but yeah, and thank you for coming. Plumber Mox, Les Thatcher could have been advertised uh, on the card and drawn more than 14% of the building in Cincinnati. If you had run smaller buildings but packed them, it would have had more energy. It would have looked, even though it was smaller, it would have looked better just because of the packed room and the energy. Instead of these giant rooms where everyone's smushed on one side of the camera and you could tell the house is empty. If they had just run smaller buildings from the get-go, realistic-sized buildings, it would and have... We're not talking about, you know, a rec center somewhere. No, I'm not talking about a rec center. We're talking about the 6,500-seat buildings or where you can find them anymore, but there are new ones that there didn't used to be. But they still go to the, the NBA building in every town. Yeah. Or what, you know... For what makes no sense, for what is something that maybe one day someone will explain the philosophy behind, but why did they do that for so long and... We'll see what changes now going forward. Well, yeah, because they're going to have new people in charge of all these things since about five of their VPs have uh, departed for parts unknown, right? Well, this is the second term of Tony's uh, presidency. So now usually the second term, a lot of people leave and they fill in new people into the ranks. That's hey, hey, I, I don't think that except for Tony Khan, I don't think we've had that much problem with vice presidents and Spiro Agnew. Have we? <laughs> I don't know about that. No, I guess not. Is it, you know, it's, it's uh, <laughs> starting to look rough, but anyway, and one more thing before we get to something you've got going on, this is an email from David. Remember we were talking about Kevin Dunn and 
he's done in the WWE, no pun intended, of course it was. And uh, the clip is out there on YouTube because everybody was very anticipatory of, oh, Cornette's going to love tearing him up. It's like they booted him out the fucking door, right? <laughs> Threw his shit on top of him and said, don't come back. I said, no, I can't gloat. Like that if we had, you know, they'd found the improper photos of him with, you know, a nanny goat because he's left, he's got tens of millions of dollars out of this thing with the stock, blah, blah, blah. I said, you know, look at it, he doesn't have to do anything he doesn't want to do. He don't want to work for anybody but Vince. Now it's come since we did that clip. It's come out that there was already tension with the new ownership and Kevin had felt disrespected by whoever he had talked to and whatever they'd said to him. And of course the, the high muckety mucks up there talking about cutting, you know, uh, expenses and, and synergizing the staff so that they eliminate positions that are doubled in the UFC and WWE. And one of them made a comment about, yeah, I've dealt with every producer. It treats each camera like it's a baby and doesn't want to lose it. So there was this shit going on. Kevin Dunn just said, ah, fuck it. I'm, I'm taking my tens of millions of dollars and, and going fucking home and they can fuck themselves probably is because he's a miserable human being. But I couldn't gloat in it because of the tens of millions of dollars and leaving on his own. And he gave him like a week's notice, right? I'm, I'm done fucking Monday. And it's a holiday weekend, by the way. And so anyway, in the process, you remember that conversation we had, Brian? Of course, yeah. Well, I asked you one simple question. You had one job. Because I'd mention, I said, what is Kevin Dunn? He's like 70. I said, look at the state of him, right? Look at that fucking face. Even though he had his teeth finally fixed, still the, the state, it looks like somebody gave him a fucking buzz cut like Sergeant Carter in Gomer Powell USMC and then took tweezers and plucked half his hair out and scared him so the other half turned gray. So even if he does have a human-looking set of teeth in his mouth instead of the goddamn dentures of a goddamn rodent, he still is a, 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 a not a cosmetically pleasing-looking human being, right? I said, he's got to be, is he 70? And you looked it up, and you said he's 68. And I said, well, see, I was close enough, right? But you know what you did, Brian? What's that? Apparently, there is an actor named Kevin Dunn, as well as a noted dam-building member of the Roden family that's worked for the WWE for the last 40 years named Kevin Dunn, and you looked him up. That The actor Kevin Dunn, whoever that may be, is 68 years old, but according to David here... I got it on paper, so it must be true. The WWE's Kevin Dunn is 61 years old. He was born in 1962. Now I got something to gloat about. You Bucky Beaver motherfucker. I'm a year older than you are, and look at the fucking state of your presence. For now I can fucking gloat. Ha 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 ha. Oh, I'm glad we're handling this in a mature way. Well, you don't expect anything else but maturity and probity from me, do you? I knew he wasn't 70. That didn't sound right. And when I saw well, 68, 68, I was like, what? This thing yeah. can't be right either, but... 
Turns out it wasn't. So that means they made him producer of the whatever the fuck they made him producer of when he was 21 years old. That poor actor who anytime anyone Googles his name gets an image of Bucky yeah. Beaver. Bucky Beaver, people with big teeth <laughs> and the fucking <laughs> Minnesota Gophers mascot. Yeah, you motherfucker. He's like, why? I'm not from Minnesota. I don't know what's going on here. Why are these people sending me beavers? Is this some kind of psychosexual game? Who's up for the role of President Roosevelt? We're talking about Kevin Dunn. Oh, Google him. What does he look like? Oh, no. (laughs) My God, those teeth. (laughs) He he had polio, not leprosy. All right. Well, anyway, before we get to the uh, the better part of the program, um, you have teased me with this right before we went on the air. You said, "Have you seen this? Have you heard about this?" And I had not. And and you told me. I said, "Wait a minute." I said, "Just tell me when we go on the air," because as you got a half a sentence out, I was like, "Wait, what?" And. Uh, Apparently, this is something that 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 the cult members. It's it's been out there on social media, but uh, many people have directed it your way on behalf of me. Yeah, enough of talking about you. Let's talk about me. What do you think of me? Um, has apparently shit stained now. He's written a new book, or or is this in one of his other? I put them in quotation marks. Books that he's written. And it's just now come to light, which which kind of makes sense because somebody would have had to have read it before now, which I don't think anyone has. But <laughs> where is happened. this? That's exactly. Where is this? It? This is an old book. This is apparently is from Rope Opera. How WCW killed Vince Russo? And oh, good. Because Lord. no one paid attention, this somehow got overlooked. This is the chapter on bitch slap. <laughs> Are you aware of bitch slap? I, no, that's it. You said bitch slap, and you said, and he wrote his ideas down for, I said, stop. I said, stop it. Just tell me if you're going to tell me. Has any, I've never heard of this. Has anybody ever mentioned this before? Even to us, which normally they, I read some of his bad formats on the air, right? And this has never been part of our conversation. I had never heard of bitch slap. Again, I had made fun of the book title. I don't own this book. I, now I want a copy of it, but apparently it's out of print. Um, but I don't have this in my wrestling library. I'll read a little bit from here before we get to the descriptions, a little bit of the setup. Before I continue with Life After Wrestling, I'm going to backtrack for a second and tell you the story of a television project I pitched with Jeremy Borash following the crash and burn of WCW. Oh, good Lord. The show was called Bitch Slap, and the federation that surrounded it was the sports, excuse me, not the, was sports entertainment extreme. (sighs) Yes, the same sports entertainment extreme that was used by TNA less than a year later. Uh, For those of you that aren't putting it together, sports entertainment extreme is, extreme with an X, is sex. Sex. So the... Do you think do you think that he was one of the young <laughs> adult men that believed that if you played with yourself that your palms would grow hair and you would go blind until he was out of college? You know who knows at this point, but I think it's important once again to say the parent organization 
A bitch slap was sex. The brainchild of Borash and me was inspired by my teenage love for glow. You know, I'm, I know Jeremy has some wild out there ideas, but I'm wondering if he's getting painted with this brush without his knowledge. But go ahead. I'm sorry. The brainchild of Borash and me was inspired by my teenage love for glow. Gorgeous ladies <sighs> of wrestling. <laughs> A show that was decades ahead of its time. Glow oh. offered beautiful, sensuous, and sexy female wrestlers, with the exception of the 300-pound Mount Fuji. Oh, for God. He puts her down with hugely over-the-top characters, such as the Farmer's Daughter, Lady Godiva, Tiffany Mellon, Tina Ferrari, the tag team of Hollywood and Vine, and Vicky Victory. You can only imagine the impact that this show would have on a 14-year-old just sliding into puberty. Oh, my God. Wait a minute. He wasn't no. 14 when that went on the air. Wait, what? No, Glow started <coughs> in what, 1985 or 6? Yeah. 86, he was, maybe. He's my age. He would have been 25 years old. God damn it. Vinny Rue, I figured out the store I could buy the fucking Hustlers in when I was 16. You were that for nine years behind your watching tits and ass on fucking television? He just named half the roster. He, he was 25 <laughs> years old. Glow did not exist until 1986. Based on this general concept, JB and I were going to take women's wrestling into the 21st century. <sighs> Inspired by the Attitude Era of Raw, we were going to launch these bodacious battling babes to a place they had never dared to venture before. <laughs> and it was going to be crass. And there was going to be nudity. That's why JB and I pitched... The problem was it was all poor ashes. <laughs> and it was going we to be... Oh, wait, I read that. to keep his shorts on. Son of a bitch. That's why JB and I pitched it to the execs at DirecTV as a weekly pay-per-view show long before TNA was presented to them in the very same format. To this day, just to entertain ourselves, we pull out the bitch slap pitch and read it aloud until tears of laughter begin to flow down Jeff Jarrett's face. You know, you know, you know by, by the way, let me just say this also, that I'm sure that it was probably pitched before the idea of TNA being a weekly pay-per-view was pitched, and I'm sure that many bad ideas were also pitched with the same idea of weekly television or pay-per-view, that people said, no, no. Are you out of your fucking mind? Let's let's hear this. Well, it says here in parentheses, God forgive me, I wrote this before I was saved. Oh, fuck. But it's too funny not to share. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's some of the roster, Jim, the description. I'm not allowed to be funny anymore because I'm a Christian, but look when I thought I was funny. Here's what I did. Toxic shock. Many of the superstars of Bitch Slap wrestle with no strings attached. However, this is not the case with the very volatile Toxic what? Shock. Wait, what? Oh, my God. I don't know how many people today understand that, but that's one of the grossest, most offensive things I've ever heard already. What? Brad, do you get that? W what am I missing? I'm just reading it quickly. What am I okay, missing? Okay, when, when would this have been written? Uh, this would have been around the time of the formation of TNA, maybe shortly before, 2001, 2002. 
Okay, well, it may have even been old news then, but there was a period of time where it was in the news that a, a number of women did or they thought that a number of women had or whatever contracted toxic shock syndrome, like so whatever. Remember when that was a thing? Wasn't that day of uh, Mike uh, Von Erich? Mike Von Erich. Yeah. The infection, toxic shock syndrome from a bad, bad infection, blah, 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 from their tampons. From the tampons. Now go back and read that fucking blurb he just wrote. Well, now that I know that, it gets better from there. No, go back and read many, it again now that everybody knows it. Many of the superstars of Bitch Slap wrestle with no strings attached. However, this is not the case with a very volatile toxic shock. Like a dog in heat, this stuck-up, temperamental temptress uses the pads of the bitch slap ring to the max. (laughs) (laughs) While she tends to turn men off with her moody demands, she claims she can make gay men menstruate. Always craving chocolate, she rides her own cycle (laughs) as she shows up to wrestle once a month. <laughs> so she, yeah, but you, you know, here's the thing: is we're not laughing at the material, and I think that's what he failed to recognize when Jeff Jarrett would bring it out. You're laughing that a grown adult man would put that on paper and admit to being the author, and now and put it in his fucking book. And tell, and tell God it was too funny to share. I thought someone would buy this. He thought someone was going to say, you know what? You're on to something. Let's do it. At this point, he is a, a, a married man in his 40s. And uh, authoring shit like this. I right, keep going. You know what's interesting? Toxic Shock rides her own cycle. She only wrestles once a month. She only wrestles on her period. Apparently, you know, and, and well, it doesn't have to fucking use a blade. Well, Jim, what about homeless Heather? Oh. Nice box, commented a young boy to his loving father as they walked by homeless Heather's place of residence on the sidewalk just outside the bitch slap arena. Oh, now, now he's getting fucking wrestling gimmicks from bad Playboy cartoons. And it really is like glow. Just everything's happening in that little universe. Yes. The only bitch slap competitor who wrestles for food. (laughs) (sighs) Homeless Heather is the she god of the shelter. Not only does she compete in the bitch slap rings, but Heather also serves as cleanup crew as she wheels her shopping cart around the arena (sighs) in search of aluminum cans during the show. (laughs) During the show. Mm. Burning her bra for heat in the twilight of the September sky. Heather, excuse me, homeless Heather hits the soup kitchen before dusk. A riot around the ladle. Heather is loved by her fellow bums, but it's no laughing matter when she steps into the ring. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to keep in mind that he presented this in written form to executives for a broadcasting company, Direct TV with the idea that people would pay to see a show revolving around these characters. And Jeremy Borash was so down on his luck, he said, hey, can I come? And Jeremy's very agreeable. He'll do anything with anybody. I, but again, I, I hesitate whether to paint poor Jeremy, who uh, 
apparently is still gainfully employed in the wrestling business somewhere behind the scenes uh, to, to ascribe this to him, but go ahead. Him. He may have just been sitting there nodding, going, hey, 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 there you, there you go. Here's one for you. Kentucky love with Papa Woody. <laughs> Get your raincoats, kids. Kentucky rain oh. is falling. <laughs> to say things are a little different in the Kentucky foothills is an understatement. Kentucky love, a bluegrass, bosomy, bodacious bimbette, is the envy of every father's eye. Er, er, father. Every farmer's eye. <laughs> well, it could have gone either way with who we're talking about. However, for Kentucky love, there won't be any sowing wild oats. With shotgun in hand, Kentucky's father, Papa Woody, holds a very special place when it comes to his divine daughter. You see, Kentucky love is Papa Woody's forbidden fruit. Oh. However, though she attempts to keep her fondling father in line, oh. Woody is hell-bent on bobbing for his daughter's apple. <laughs> what is the matter with him? How was he treated as a child? What is the... It, it, what is his relationship with sexuality it, it definitely is some like repressed thing and right? i'm, I'm seeing i'm seeing papa woody is denver pile and that's the most <laughs> disgusting visual that you can possibly have at denver pile is fondling donna douglas and then that just it's all over the place when he makes these fucking well it sounds like papa woody's a manager we have a tag team next jim Blackbeard and Treasure Chest, the Ass Pirates. <laughs> Wait a minute. When, can you can you be a female ass pirate? Well, we're going to find out. Ahoy, matey! <laughs> like the swashbucklers of the Caribbean, Blackbeard and Treasure Chest, the Ass Pirates, have buccaneered their way to the seats of bitch slap. Sword fighting... A specialty, that's the way it's written, sword fighting a specialty, the ass pirates force their opponents to walk the plank. Wait, hold on, is it, I think he's, he's reading the wrong fetish material. So far, this is a male tag team. Well, no, it, it's a female tag team that sword, are actually Sword pirates. fighting? Well, sword fighting. Ass is, pirates? Well, I guess, well, maybe. They forced the, no, not maybe. I mean, what is it? He's not sure. He, he wandered into the wrong aisle in adult world. Well, and he made the wrong notes through their revealing denim shorts. The <laughs> ass pirates I'm still not wrong. The ass pirates invite rump wrangling to those seamen ah. who love who lust after them. God damn it. <laughs> Action heroes to the preteen audience. <laughs> <laughs> the preteen audience. Fuck. His, Jesus Christ. I wouldn't put this on television for the adult audience. He's God damn it! You know, much like Jeff Jarrett, I have tears coming down my face right but, now. What is it? Is, is it again? Oh. He means this. Action heroes to the preteen audience, and also this is still an intergender tag team situation because these two are guys. Blackbeard and Treasure Chest are among the ten most wanted in every elementary school in America. No. <sighs> Not for prematurely causing cannons to fire, but rather leaving blue balls behind. What? <laughs> what in the world? 
segment of the children he's trying to corrupt here. Another character is Birdie Hole for One, a PGA legend. Birdie Hole for One claims she doesn't need wood to win in the rings of bitch slap. Nicknamed Butch by her fellow competitors and sporting a rock solid 28-24-36 figure. Birdie's sexual preference has been in question since the day she refused to stroll through Tiger's woods. Handicapped by a mean streak, male officials of bitch slap beware. Keep your balls away from Birdie Hole for one. Four! Can anybody now, if there's ever been any doubt, understand the level of juvenility and banality and anality and fucking insufferable douchebaggishness? Maybe you're prejudging this. We're not even done. That no, this is what I had to endure. Not this specific shit, but this, this overall shit is what you have to endure around this fucking ignorant cretin. The level of eight-year-old fucking nonsense. Well, Jim, much like the British Bulldogs had Matilda, here's one. Beastie Alley with her little dog Scroat. Wanted by the Humane Society in 48 states, apparently it's legal in North and South Dakota, Beastie Alley and her little dog Scrotap brought their act to bitch slap. Posted on Alpoke Hands Across America, Beastie Alley brings new meaning to the term puppy love. With his eyes not the only thing bulging, let's not forget that Scrote is the innocent victim being held With against his, his will. With his eyes not the only thing bulging, the dog... <laughs> Who's looking at the girl? But but then but well with old bestiality, could we find out that maybe the dog's eyes were bulging for another reason? Well, Jim, let me finish this. But beastie beware! Every dog has its day, and it may be only a matter of time before Rover takes over. <sighs> so you're promising to people at Direct TV that a dog's gonna fuck a woman and in a wrestling ring? <laughs> I'm telling you, you've never seen anything like it. We're gonna, the woman's gonna bend over, and the dog is gonna walk on its hind legs, and it's got a giant throbbing, and it's gonna fuck the girl, and her eyes are gonna bug out, and we're gonna sing the song Rover Takes Over on your air. What about the tag team of Moose Knuckle and Camel Toe? Oh, and you know he's already done that. On, he did that on TNA. Remember Mickey Knuckles, the outlaw indie mud show girl wrestler, became Moose Knuckles. Well, here uh, they came from two different worlds, from the mountains of the Ozark. Moose Knuckle is a bosomy lumberjack who wields a wicked axe, while Camel Toe is a highly ranked officer in the Iranian National Army. <laughs> <laughs> Together, this unlikely duo has wrought havoc among the ranks of bitch slap, but there is a problem. After a night of passion with a crew of young, innocent American sailors, both Moose Knuckle and Camel Toe have suffered a social disease which has disfigured their most intimate of areas. At press time, 
Moose Knuckle and Camel Toe are in search of the cure and their quest for finding it. Uh, their quest to finding it, they will take no prisoners. So they have. So they're wait. They're gonna they're gonna beat up other girl wrestlers until somebody spills the secret of how to cure a swollen pussy. It appears that is what that tag team of Moose Knuckle and Camel Toe will be doing. Yes, they are. He showed this to people. He didn't just get drunk and do this, and then the next day wake up and burn it before anybody in his family saw it. He's admitting to this in public. What is this? What? Religious people think of their their wives or girlfriends or women in their lives. How would this? He wasn't lie? religious. That's the he had to find the religion after releasing something like this. Oh Christ! He needed to find a goddamn psychiatrist or a hooker, one or the other. Has he been laid now? Did they did the were his children immaculate receptions? I'm wondering if he's ever been laid at this point. What is his, and what is his deal with the goddamn, is, uh, I don't understand. Which group would protest this first on basis of what racism or what sexism or what uh, anti-ism? Well, we have another, I've got to go ahead. We have another tag team, Jim. MVP, missing body parts, Stumpy and Gimpy. Oh, God. Park in their space, and you better be ready for both a fine and a fight. Stumpy and Gimpy, collectively known as MBP, are two handicapped heroines who have learned to use their disabilities to their advantage. Walking tall and carrying her wooden leg, Gimpy will literally stick one foot in her mouth while inserting her wooden peg up your ass! Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> Stumpy sometimes. God damn it, I saw that on a German video one time. I can't believe he saw the same thing. Stumpy, sometimes referred to as the one-armed bandit, has one of the most devastating combinations in the business today. When she hits you with a right, and then a right, and then another right, you will most likely be down for the count. Can you lose to a one-legged woman in an ass-kicking contest? You may, if you are in the ring with MVP. How do you think that works as a good tag team? I'm sure there's some type of social organization that could boycott him for that. Well, we I'm a, just not sure which one applies. We have a couple more uh, profiles here. Nurse Hershey with Dr. Proctor. Oh, Ben over. He's stealing, he's stealing from Boyd Pierce. Dr. Proctor's red rectum rockers. Ah. Well, bend over and say, ah, the team physician of bitch slap, Dr. Proctor, is known to be a real ass man within the locker room. Uh, Assisted by the lovely Nurse Hershey, Dr. Proctor feels his way around the superstars, assuring that each and every one of them has a clean bill of health. Anally retentive, the popular Dr. Proctor has become so overbooked that the robust nurse Hershey has been forced to increase her role. Now the physician to the male management team of Bitch Slap, Nurse Hershey lets her fingers do the walking while her rectal thermometer does the talking. Ouch! <laughs> but, but wait again, because if, the, if Dr. Proctor is a guy... Then, then what? He's uh, he's not even wrestling. He's just going around sticking his ass, his finger up these girls' asses. 
Well, it sounds like we may have a sunshine uh, Jimmy Garvin situation. She's nurse uh, Hershey's starting to interact with other men on the roster or not on the roster. I guess. Well, who's what? Who gets to stick what up her or what is she sticking up? Who who is being penetrated and who are the penetrators in all of these scenarios that he's uh, he's putting things up people's asses. Cause we we can't we can't analyze him properly. I'm talking about the author himself, it, it, unless we understand what his fantasies entail. Is he is he pitching or catching or neutral or who the fuck is penetrating who here with what? Well, Jim, there's Grandma Gas. Oh, good lord! Constantly blowing her own horn. I bet she is. It's a methane madness, or it is. Methane madness or methane madness. It's methane. I'm thinking of Mr. Methane who used to be on Howard Stern. It is methane madness when Grandma Gas steps into the ring at Bitch Slap. Smells like rotten eggs. Fueled by a flatulent fanny, this queen of brown wind <laughs> this queen of brown wind uses her deadly gas to gag her opponent into submission, leaving revenge on their minds and skid marks on their bodies. Riding a Geritol high, this walking wind tunnel will catch you off guard with her finishing maneuver, the colon-cleansing ass blast. She depends on it. Oh, God. And then it says who, here... Who about, who's going to play these parts? If, 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 if DirecTV had been on some type of LSD trip that day and said, you know what, that's a good idea. The rest of the bitch, How would he have done this? The rest of the Bitch Slap roster were filled out with various other superstars such as Terry Springer, Brittany Shears, Fleminem, Yenta the Jewish American Princess, Lorena Choppit, Jenny Knockersville, and Q Cumba. Amy is going to kill me for including this. <laughs> <laughs> but I That's think it's relevant when wife, laying out my way, journey. And I, I would think divorce proceedings would be more apropos than actual homicide. But hey, you know, if she wants to put the, you know, put her whole heart and soul into it, I wouldn't argue with either. This is embarrassingly bad, and that really is uh, it, there, Jim. Bitch slap. He put, he put that in a book. Can he? I learned from. Jerry, Jared, Bill Watts, and Dusty Rhodes, he learned from fucking glow when he was 25. Is, 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 there, is there any more doubt in anybody's mind how that me and him was ever destined to go? You know, I love that all these years later, we're still discovering some of his bad ideas from 20 to 30 years ago. Well, you know what? If he wants to hide everything bad he's done, write a fucking book about it. And that way, nobody will ever know. Because I believe that book has been out for some time, and, and this is the first time that's been brought to our attention. Well, once again, brought to you by the uh, company Sex, Bitch Slap, <sighs> coming soon to DirecTV every week. You know what the problem is? The problem is, is that ideas like that can be pitched and to, to, to people in places of import and and there's nothing they can do. They don't know that these people are out of their minds until they walk into the office. But now I'll tell you what, if if they had a chance to call around, call around Brian and ask, hey, I got somebody want to meet me named Vince Russo. Is he a fucking lunatic? Yeah, okay. They could turn the meeting down. But see, not enough important people 
have this brand new thing they've got going on. It's called a wireless network. And it's hooked up to your phone in your pocket. And while many people charge a fortune for these brand new thing of a bobs called wireless networks and phones in your pocket, our friends at Mint Mobile only charge you 15 bucks a month. You remember me telling you about this a few days ago? That is correct, yeah. Unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. That means you can call people unlimited amounts of time and they have to talk to you. And they got to talk to you as like unlimitedly as long as you want to talk. And the same thing with te- when you text somebody, they're forced to text you back because it's unlimited. And data, you can call the people at Mint Mobile and ask them question after question, and they've got to answer you because they have to give you unlimited data all for this $15 a month plan when you purchase the three-month plan. How many questions have you asked Mint Mobile this week? I'm asking you the questions, and I'm asking them questions to clarify whatever it is that you've been saying for the last week. Well, it says you've got unlimited talk, text, and data. That means that you can do that just willy-nilly, as free as you want for $15 a month. You need all the data you need, you get it for $15 a month. They'll answer all your questions, give you all the information. So there you go. You answered your own question from earlier about how homeless people can get cell phones. Well, but how are they going to get $15 a month? You ought to be able to goddamn, if you can afford $15 a month, you ought to be able to afford a a small one-bedroom fixer-upper. $15 a month? Well, I guess with inflation, it might be $25. Nevertheless. We can get unlimited text and... uh... Well, we didn't know Mint Mobile was a thing because most of these phone plans, they charge a fortune. It's hundreds and tens of hundreds of dollars a month. But Mint Mobile, well, they're revolutionary because they're charging $15 a month when you sign up for three months. So they've got no overpriced wireless plan jaw-dropping monthly bills, unexpected overages. There's no, you know, of, 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 of hidden charges here. They give you the unlimited talk and text, the high-speed data. They tell you the answer to your question right away. And it's the largest 5G network in the nation. What is 5G, you might ask? I'll get back to you. And you can use your own phone. You don't have to go... Take somebody else's that already has a Mint mobile phone, and you can just use it with your own. And you can bring your phone number. So if it's written on the the proper bathroom walls, you don't need to go back and update the number. No, that just means you could take the number you're already using with you. Does it have anything to do with where it's written or how it's written? Well, if you've got it out there, if it's part of your business, you you want it to be known, you don't have to change it. You can keep the same one. That way you won't miss any important calls when you're sitting out there homeless on a sidewalk. That would have helped our buddy 5-0 Steve. Well, there you go. But then again, now that they've learned that much easier to say 5-0 Steve, 877-5-0 Steve, instead of all numbers, well, it's, it's entered into a whole new realm of ease of remembrance. But what a great deal Mint Mobile offers our listeners. I was about to say, what commercial are we on? So anyway... <laughs> Folks, right now, don't get screwed around on these high-priced, big wireless bills for all of these hoity-toity little brand-new science fiction type of wireless phones they've got in everybody's pockets these days. 
that the young folks use. It's only 15 bucks a month with Mint Mobile. And right now, you just go to Mint Mobile, M-I-N-T, Mobile, wait, like Mobile, Alabama, dot com slash J-C-E, mintmobile.com slash J-C-E, and cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions may apply, but don't they always? See Mint Mobile for details. Well, I know somebody I want to call a therapist to recommend that they set up shop over at AEW and examine it. I don't know who the writing team is. Tony, it's Tony says nobody writes my TV, but me, but there's a revolving door of people wandering in and out, pitching ideas that some of them may not land in the right basket. I don't know. Nobody tall. Um, nobody tall. Interesting. <laughs> when you think of all the names he mentions, nobody's tall. I, d- I don't have a comeback for that. You're thinking of the names. I, I know you're thinking about it. You're like, man, everyone is kind of, you know, the same height. Well, they're down in the dumps is what they are with this was this television program. We're talking about AEW Dynamite for January 3rd. They've started a brand new year. One would have thought that this was a somewhat landmark television program for them because the big explanation from their reveal of the long-running who the devil, the devil made me do it, who the devil situation that was revealed at their pay-per-view on December 30th. This is the first live television program since that time for AEW where we assume, one would think, that we're going to hear why 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 and potentially some insight into how i don't as it turned out they couldn't go that deep from adam cole and the whole nine yards right so one would think they would have their their uh, theoretically the old saying they're working boots on on it to put on a good program top to bottom right they might get some viewers but instead this is where is everybody that you would care about is everybody hurt? Is every single major star that they have either hurt, fired, or gone home in disgrace that this is the the team they could field? Maybe Tony gave every big star off for New Year's plus 20 days. <laughs> I don't know if every one of them needs it. Hold on. I may have to crack open. A bit of my own bubbly. Some Sprite. Sprite Zero. Sprite Zero. Let's get it right. Well, I've got a I've got one of the screw top uh, uh bottles. They were short of the cans, but nevertheless, the first minute of this program from January 3rd was the best one minute of AEW television I've seen in months, and it went steadily downhill from there. Do you even remember what the first minute was by the time they got to the end of it? Was that the recap with the Samoa Joe interview spliced in? Boom. Samoa Joe doing a pre-tape cold open. And that's a, kids, that's a television term when it was normal television procedure from the start of television to play the opening theme, whatever it may be, and then, you know, go to the program. But then they started varying it up a little bit and they started starting with a snippet of the program and then going to the opening theme. We hear the theme from Gilligan's Island or whatever, and that became a cold open where we 
we go cold into the program. And then Dusty Rhodes used to call it a hot open because he refused to have anything cold on his wrestling show. So he'd put on the format hot open. But nevertheless, that was the best thing on this entire show. Because for one minute or maybe 90 seconds, I don't know, Samoa Joe spoke with conviction, had great material that was delivered in a fucking meaningful and believable way. He got revenge on MJF and took everything from him. And he said, you may be a scumbag, but I'm a heartless son of a bitch. And I'll take everything from anyone who tries to take this from me. He looks like a badass that means what he says. He's a giant fucking bulk of a man. And he sounds serious and it was a great heel promo. On a real wrestling show, Samoa Joe being the world champion would probably make a difference in the business if he's being presented and presenting himself like that. But in the middle of this fucking muck, I don't know whether anything would make any difference, but Joe, if I just had, if I, if you said, take 90 seconds of this program that you would put on a show that you were fucking in charge of, I would take that interview and leave the rest of it. That was just, that's just me though. Looking at WWE uh, with Roman Reigns and now AEW with Samoa Joe, should TNA look for a Samoan man named Joe? Well, God damn it, that's where he began his descent into missing his best years trying to support that fucking company previously when they had 10 times the viewers they've got now. Uh, you know, that's, that's one of the unfortunate things about the wrestling business. Joe was good enough to have been in the Gunther spot in the WWE years ago, and he probably still is now, but they've gone through so many stops and starts with him and he's been presented in all these substandard ways in secondary companies. And you know, he's not as a spring chicken. Well, I mean, that's a good comparison actually. Cause the sad thing is, even though Joe's had, Joe's done a lot of great stuff, but I think you could still say Joe was best booked by Gabe Sapolsky. And what year was that? Yeah. Yeah. He, he was, that was a long time. 2005. Was that the end of it? 2004. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing is he was best booked by a guy that booked the stuff that almost nobody saw of his. And every time he's the more higher profile the company, the more flummox they get about using. And it shouldn't be that hard. It shouldn't be that hard. And Dutch Mantel had it for that brief shining moment with him and Angle. And then Shitstain got back involved and that all went to hell. But can I ask you a question? Yes. Do you see Joe as a long-term solution? Someone who, let's say, Tony Khan did book him the way Gabe Sapolsky did book him in Ring of Honor. Do you see that as a long-term thing, or should he be a short-term thing to a Swerve Strickland or whoever the next champion is deemed to be? Well, oh, that, that's an essay question. And yeah. No, I don't... Based on also what AEW needs versus what AEW wants to do. What AEW well, truly yeah. needs. I don't think it should be a couple of years, and that's no disrespect to Joe, but just because nothing lasts in that company to begin with. But also, I don't think we're talking about a couple of years, but I don't think you ought to just drop it to somebody. There ought to be some kind of goddamn coherent plan to all of this, and usually there is, but in AEW, there's barely never or not. Um, 
but it, the problem is contenders and positioning. Joe shouldn't be dropping it to Swerve unless they're going to switch Swerve babyface. But if they switch Swerve babyface, then will people still like him? Because right now he terrorizes children and engages in the breaking bones of the beloved baby faces and they cheer him. He's never been more popular. He's never been more popular. So if he stops doing all that shit and becomes a baby face, then will they still like him? Cause they've just taken over. The fans have taken over Tony's show because they can't make any sense out of the shit that he gives them. So with Joe being as talented a heel as he is, one would think that he, one of two things, either, MJF, who apparently now is their top babyface at a time when MJF has never been less popular because he's their top babyface. How long is he going to be out? We don't know. Is he going to come back and that would be a hopefully a big match to get revenge or if it's going to be too long for that, more than six months or whatever the fuck, then do you build a new babyface? But who is that? Because how can you build a babyface when the people cheer all the heels for pissing in their fucking faces. And nobody cares that a baby face succeeds at anything in that company. So I don't know how to answer any of those questions. And I'll have a fucking brain tumor grow on the spot trying to figure it out, which is why I'm trying not to take this shit too seriously. But as Joe could, but if they had contenders, Joe could work as a solution that isn't short term because you'd be intrigued by all these matches and who's going to be the person to defeat Joe. Yes. And that would be a normal thing you would do when you've got a big physically imposing, dominating champion like that is figure out who's going to be able to slay this dragon and you could run because who else? Nobody's going to talk better than Joe. And he can have good to great matches as long as it's not just so i mean i'm not gonna say have four stars with pockets or some of these other guys but with the top guys he could have believable fucking matches instead of this gymnastics horse shit so but i but who knows what they're gonna do because now he worked with the top heel, but now the, the, the top heel is now Adam Cole, who's effectively a manager because he's injured and his henchmen are all job guys until they just reveal themselves to not be job guys, which we'll get into in a second. And they're not even speaking nicely to each other. So I don't know what the fuck. I don't know what the fuck, how they're going to pull out of this tailspin. Should we get to the tailspin of the first segment? Let's get to it. Adam Cole music plays after they do the recap package where Joe won and Cole was revealed as the devil and Taven and Bennett and Wardlow's the henchman. And then Adam Cole's music stops. And then new, darker-tuned, toned music started. Well, not too toned, but just toned. Well, whichever tone. Don't make me change my tone. I like two-tone. I don't want to associate two-tone with this. Well, it's only Tommy. Oh. His his sister, Tootie, was, was not the same. She didn't inherit the talent in the family. Tootie, two-tone? That's why they had that lawsuit. <laughs> anyway, so then the henchmen come out, 
and all of the henchmen, Taven and Bennett and Wardlow, they're dressed in black jumpsuits and black shoes and black hats, and they have black hair. And now all their individuality is gone. They're interchangeable stooges. Wardlow always wore black anyway, but he had colors on and tights, and you could see his body. And with Taven and Bennett, I mean, they had robes and colorful jackets and shit when they were themselves. And and Roddy, Roddy, forgot about Roderick Strong, did I mention him? It, 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 again, they're just covered up in black. So they're just fucking bleh. And then Cole comes out dressed the same way and he's on crutches with a black cast. And but out of all of them, Wardlow especially looks like an idiot. He doesn't even look like his Kmart thug outfit fits right. It was also the hair. Well, yeah, whatever they've done with... Uh, out of, and with, they changed the music, and so now Cole doesn't do the boom. The boom is gone. Well, he's a heel. He's the one heel not doing the popular... Well, yes, time. but now, but, but here the problem is he's not doing the boom. He just holds up the mask, but now we realize how glaring it was. They were reacting because that was the place they reacted to, or they were supposed to. And when he got in and circled around and Adam Cole, baby, nobody's reacting to anything. They ain't booming, they're busting. It's just, they... This was supposed to be the big fucking, you know, heel group that has been responsible for all this. And people are just like, ah, did you, did you feel that or hear that? I think, and the ratings will tell a story later, considering this was the big show after the pay-per-view with a lot of questions that you would hope would be answered. I feel like there's a big letdown that's felt amongst the AEW fans by this whole thing. That played out for a long time, had a lot of comedy segments that you really had to drink the Kool-Aid to go along with, and this is how it played out. Again, Taven and Bennett, talent aside, look how they've been used. Now you're supposed to rethink how you think about them? Same thing and with Roddy, and, although he's still yelling the first name. That's not going that's away That's what completely. I was going to say. They're still doing comedy even after this now, and he says, hey, listen to my best friend, Adam! He's, you know what? They're still doing it. This is one of those things that also has to be said. When he was losing his mind and he was just a complete dirty pervert, one of the things Vince McMahon got right was how to use Adam Cole in the main roster. And it was as a shit talking, chicken shit heel manager. This doesn't even fit that because now he's just bad. His size makes it so he should be a chicken shit. But instead, he the fans aren't buying this. And well, but also they put him in a position where he's out there trying to talk about running the place when he's crippled in a fucking cast, and the guys standing behind him have been flunkies on their television for months and not beating anybody, or with Wardlow just been aimless for years. And, and here's the other thing: if you're an AEW fan and you read the internet you know that MJF is not going to be there for a while. He's injured. 
whatever his contract thing is. A lot of people think he renewed already, but if it's just the injuries alone, he should be out for a long time. If I'm Tony Khan, I'm telling him, get everything worked on now. But if you know he's not going to be there, who are they feuding with? They said Wardlow's going to go for the championship and then give the belt to Adam Cole. We just hold saw that. Now, hold. We just saw that with Christian Cage and Luchasaurus. Hold on now. Wait a minute. Now you're jumping ahead of I'm things. Sorry. We're, well, we're this we're gonna segment. we're gonna dissect that because I've got a list here of what they're gonna do. <laughs> and well, no, I had to make a list. But here's the thing: Adam Cole is a a good promo. He's got conviction and speaks well, and he has inflection in his voice. But he's got to have some material. That makes fucking sense, right? And his story is why this whole thing happened. MJF, a narcissist, and most of the locker room is going to thank Adam one of these days for getting rid of him because MJF would have done the same thing. But Adam Cole beat him to it. And moments later, he says, I sacrificed everything for that friendship. Wait a minute. I thought it was a plot all along that MJF would have done the same thing, but Adam beat him to it. But then he said, I sacrificed everything for that friendship. They can't get their story together. Right? That's right. And if it was supposed to be real at any time, why was it played for comedy? And he did a wonderful promo. It sounded good if you didn't speak English because it explained nothing, overlooked all the logic holes, and didn't make any sense as to why this whole elaborate thing and why everybody in it acted the way they did. And then the undisputed kingdom. Now, here's what's going to happen. Taven and Bennett are already the Ring of Honor tag team champions because they beat... They did. They won the swerve thing they did on TV last week or whatever, right? Even though we didn't know who they were, just two hooded, nameless guys won the tag team. Now we know it was Bennett, Taven and Bennett. It's the Ring of Honor tag team title. It means fucking nothing. They have an AEW tag team title. And it means nothing. But so they're the Ring of Honor tag champions. Roddy is going to go after the international title. Okay, Roddy is not only supposed to be part of the top heel group here that has beaten nobody, and Pockets beats everybody, but they're going to have one of the henchmen of the devil over there stooging for the fucking mascot. And then that's where Wardlow is going to go after the AEW world title, and when Adam Cole then recovers, that's when Wardlow will give Adam Cole the world title. But did have we established you can do that? Because did, did the Lizard even really give Christian the belt, or did they do some kind of... He, Christian was talking like he was the champion when it was really Nino Douche, but then... They did some kind of swervy thing where Krishna actually won it. But they were still at the pay-per-view playing up the whole idea. Luchasaurus, it's not a title, but he won the championship match. You have to give it over to me right now. Well, and then he signed the contract to him. Yeah, I mean, this keeps happening. 
So now it's going to happen here with Wardlow? Because Wardlow's a jerk-off if he gives it over to Adam Cole. Is Wardlow going to turn on Adam Cole? Well, no, you, but you could see Wardlow giving kind of a, yeah, sure I will. Well, sure you'll win the fucking belt to begin with, fella. And the sooner you realize that, the better off you'll be. But anyway, that and then the big zinger line to Samoa Joe, the new champion, he congratulated Joe, but he... He said, I hope when Wardlow works his way up and is ready for a title match, you're not the champion because it would suck to hurt a friend. Where's your crickets? Yeah, that was a road warrior pop compared to the reaction from the crowd when Adam delivered that zinger of a line to Samoa Joe. And then he says, AEW needed change, and we gave it to you. And nobody reacted. If they did need change, apparently this was not the change they wanted. And then Adam said, we're here to stay. And I thought maybe at that point he might get some snipers, right, from the audience. But instead, we didn't get snipers. We got a switch hitter Jay White to come out. Or light switch, Jay White. Or sling, slingshot. Bus stop. Bus stop. Oh, whoever he is, here came Jay White out. So now, the, uh, the devil and his group have been revealed, but they put the only babyface in this equation out of action, MJF, and now they've made pointed comments at Samoa Joe, the heel champion, but here comes another heel. And Jay White comes out wearing a black tank top and white sweatpants and tennis shoes. And I got, I've started noticing more than ever, this is the blandest, most boring-looking crew of wrestlers I've ever seen. It like, they just show up in whatever they're going to fucking wear after they go to the gym, and then they walk out on television looking like that. And... <laughs> Apparently, old Light Switch here was not happy because he was collateral in the whole angle with the not collateral damage. He was collateral. How much money could you borrow on Jay White right now, you think, Brian? You're the financial guru. Are we talking pounds? Are we talking U.S. dollars? What are we talking here? I don't even think we're talking S&H green stamps. Oh. But he was collateral because he was jumped by the Stooges. Remember, the, the devil Stooges beat him up one time to throw everybody off the scent. But he says, but now I'm not alone. And out come the gun boys. They're the part of the gang, bang, gang, clang, bang, clang, bang, shang, lang. She went bang, shang, lang, bang, bang, the Archies. Huh. His, his rest of his heel group, besides Juice, the one we like, here they come. I wrote, who are the fucking baby face? Who are we supposed to cheer for? And they hit the ring and they fight Roddy and Taven and Bennett. Wardlow jumps out on the floor with Adam Cole to get him situated and then gets back in and helps them take over on Jay White and the gun boys. And it's a bunch of heels beating up a bunch of heels, right? And then here comes the acclaimed music. And out comes the acclaimed and Billy Gunn who run down and the top heel group who, by the way, also have these three outnumbered, bail like scared rabbits and Adam Cole hides behind the doctor at ringside 
And then the acclaimed and Billy Gunn see Jay White and the Gun Boys, and you think there's going to be some reconciliation here, and then Jay White and the Gun Boys just walk off and leave. So there was what? How this is the worst fucking show. This? this is the worst fucking show. This whole everything's overbooked, <laughs> and this whole thing sucked, and it was overbooked. It was so bad. Set the show off on a really bad tone. Four, five, six, seven, eight. What are you counting? How many people were involved? How many people were involved in this? And it was 15 minutes and seemed like forever. Should they have had Britt Baker be the devil and someone could have pushed Adam around in a wheelchair? Well, apparently Adam Cole was going to be the devil originally all along. But Tony just didn't have the sense to when he crippled himself to say, you know, we're going to probably need to do something else. And, and even then, he had a couple months after he, after Adam hurt himself to put some credibility in Taven and Bennett and Roddy and some legitimacy in poor old Wardlow, and he couldn't figure out how to do it. This is a. Uh... Not looking good for the next run of TVs, this top heel faction here. The next year or so, you mean? You know, it's, and in a lot of ways, it's like, because of it's, it's Adam, it's Roddy, and then other nondescript white guys in the background, it takes you back to NXT a few years ago when they got chased off Wednesday nights. That wasn't the winning team. Since that time, Adam Cole's been used horribly. He had that feud with Orange Cassidy. Injury after injury, ones that could happen to anyone like concussions, ones that he had a match with a ramp where he jumped to the floor, broke his ankle. He's the original Kota Ibushi. And then this, there's nothing in that time. The MJF stuff, Adam Cole was good in it, but it got over because of MJF. And now MJF's not going to be there for a while. This isn't looking good. Who are they going to feud with? The Bucks? Who are they going to feud? Like, really, who are they going to work with? Who are they going to feud? The BCC? <laughs> Tell me who you'd want to see them do anything with. Well, and besides that, the devil was responsible for the takedown of the individual single world's heavyweight champion. And they've got no credible single wrestler besides Wardlow, who is. And honestly, as we saw the time they tried it before a year and a half or so, unless he's been in heavy training, can he have a long competitive singles match without exposing himself or not knowing what to do? Hey, what was the reasoning again? He got the belt off MJF. Samoa Joe's the champion. He's not in their little faction. He just hated MJF and he wanted to cost him the belt, but he didn't want the belt. Is it nice doing business with you? Uh, Joe did too. Uh, what question are you asking now? Because I've lost track of What's Adam Cole's motivation? What was the motivation for oh, him? Oh, because MJF on? was a narcissist and made it all about himself. So Adam arranged, I guess, for somebody else to beat him and did all this to, even though he gave everything for that friendship. I don't understand. Nobody understands. Here, here's what I'm going to say that everyone will disagree with. MJF should not come back and have, when Adam Cole is healthy, a 25-minute classic. He should just come and squash him in three minutes. I would prefer that by the time that MJF comes back that everybody has forgotten any of this happened. 
You think they're going to be able to keep the devil and, and all of his henchmen's blue dresses on for the next six months or whatever? How long's... Uh, if you were going to run with this devil thing for this long, would you have run with this mask? It's an interesting look, Dave, because now it's on their, like, uh, the backs of their shirts. They're trying to get this thing out. They're going to probably try to sell merch. <laughs> okay, but then, it, then somebody should still be wearing it. What the fuck? Here's this cool mask that I wore when I masqueraded as some fucking fictitious person to undermine the champion. But now nobody in my group wears it. I just hold it up every so often. Well, it was MJF's mask. Maybe they'll do something when he's ready to come back where he can go to like his mask maker. The, the person oh, that's who right. It was him. MJF's originally. <laughs> well, uh, all right. Never mind. Moving along quickly. Eddie Kingston package on winning the tournament. Hey. <laughs> Danny Garcia package on having a big match tonight. <laughs> Pockets music. Coming out with Hook and Danhausen. Three more wrestlers in street clothes. And for the dollar store general fucking title that Pockets has, he wrestled Dante Martin. Now we had heels fighting heels. Now we got baby faces fighting baby faces. Because they can do some cool spots with each other. So that's all we, we need to know. And after they wasted 16 minutes of everybody's life, Pockets won and they shook hands. And then Private Party came out. Because Mark Quinn, I guess, has been hurt. Now he's back. He's the one that can jump the highest. And he said they're back. And the tag team division has been missing them. So they're putting all the teams on notice. And they mentioned a bunch of teams that I don't think any of them should have been mentioned in terms of <laughs> top tag teams. And I don't think they, besides FTR, I don't know that they have any top tag teams here anymore. And it was kind of an awkward green promo while the other guys just stood there and listened to it and not... And at, at some points, Private Party was talking to the camera and ignoring the people who were standing in the ring with him. And that elongated that whole fucking fiasco of a presentation to about 20 minutes on national television for all of that tomfoolery. Your thoughts? It was a nice throwback to the early train wreck days of uh, AW Dynamite. Everyone wondered, where's Mark Quinn? Well, they're back, and now the Hardys are seemingly not having anything to do with this. What happened with that? Wasn't Isaiah Cassidy... Brother Zay with the Hardys? Well, he was only Brother Zay until Brother Y came back. And I, that, I, well, now we got them, I guess, against Top Flight. And uh, I'll just say this. I watched the show up to this match, and then I took a break because I'm not watching Orange Cassidy matches. And it is my opinion that is going to be a growing thing. I've been saying that for a while. And people should stop acting surprised when you see the numbers of each segment and the ratings each week, because it's a bad show. Tony is putting out a bad show. Some people like it. Some people would have liked Vince Russo's bitch slap. <laughs> but it's a bad show. D Dana White did an offshoot with just fat, <laughs> fear-bellied old guys. That would have been an amazing lawsuit. That's my idea, bro! I, I like uh, the, the next segment. Renee Moxley Good had... Timeless Tony Storm, and she thought that she was going to be in New York City, but it was actually New Jersey. You can identify there, Brian. Yeah. 
So she said she was going to go to Manhattan to Sardis to have a seance for Stephen Sondheim and not watching Maria May's match instead. Like the rest of us, I wrote, are not going to be watching this. But Tony was in, in Manhattan. Tony takes Manhattan. I wish they'd do Tony Takes Manhattan as sort of a sequel to Debbie Does Dallas. Well, that's and, a, that's an uh, unnecessary, perverted comment, uh, Mr. McMahon. But I think she's so good in her role. I just hate it on the wrestling show. <laughs> I wish, like, Turner Classic Movies would hire her. She could be, like, their gimmick, their Sven Gulli. Yes. She's talented at it. And it's entertaining if you know anything about classic Hollywood. I just hate it here. If she was like fucking the Sunset Boulevard, Gloria Swanson fucking reminiscing about the old days and pitching to these kitschy classics on Turner Underground, that would be fucking fantastic. Uh, did you like Malachi Black and our, our friend Buddy doing a spooky promo about FTR Saturday on Collision. Because apparently, I forgot, they did an angle a couple months ago where they just kicked the shit out of FTR and left them laying flat on their face. And now I guess they're finally going to have a match about it. Well, they had the match. I'm guessing you didn't see the match. You're, you're guessing correctly. What happened? Did FTR win? <laughs> well, it was a hometown show. It was in Charlotte. Oh, then they had to do the job. And FTR won. And I have to say, no. it, was, it was a good match. FTR won. They got really hot towards the end. And then they did what they always do. There was a massive beatdown on FTR, and they were left laying there. Oh, Dax on his side, looking stunned. Cash laying down, looking stunned. I mean, it's this is the problem. We keep seeing FTR getting beat down. It doesn't make you want to see them anymore. But it was a good match. All righty then. Well, back to Dynamite. Renee Moxley Good was talking to Prince Nana and Swerve about tonight's main event on television. They revealed that tonight's TV main event, Swerve Strickland versus Daniel Garcia. And I predicted at that point that they were going to be highly displeased with the ratings result of that. I can't believe... You could have kind of tried to slide that by and maybe people wouldn't notice, but to tell people all through the show, that's our main event. That was like inviting people to fucking find something else to do, wasn't it? Yeah. And again, you know, I don't want to talk about the ratings now because we'll talk about them later. I don't know if you really know the actual trajectory I, of them. I don't, I, but, I, I'm pretty sure I got the gist of it, but I don't know the numbers. But there are people still making excuses like, no, these are good numbers or no, they were still number two on TV for the night. When you look at the trend and you look at what's happening and you take out the Big Bang Theory and all these things, nothing's getting more popular. You could look at the trajectory and then you can look at the numbers for the week that all of a sudden it's like, oh shit, the bad trajectory is even worse this week. It's just they're doing bad TVs and they think everything's great. Everything's great. <laughs> Tony keeps saying this is the best run of TVs I've ever done. Wow, that was a loud one. How does it sound from over here? Is it too far away? Can you hear that? Oh, no, that was good. But how, how does this sound? Because, see, before I was right up on you. Yeah, no, that's a little bit uh, better. It's still a little Tony. Yeah. Well, well, so, to so is Tony. So to speak. All right, well, speaking of bad television and running viewers off, the next thing they did was Maria May having her match on 
Dynamite that Tony Storm wouldn't watch against Queen Amarita. So uh, some big star power here on both sides of this fence. And I watched the first two minutes. And folks, imagine two newborn fawns trying to navigate their way across a frozen lake on roller skates. You might <laughs> get some semblance of what was going on here. <laughs> but finally, obviously, Mar Maria May wins the thing. And then Renee Moxley Good, who's everywhere, is in the ring with her. and. She does the fake excitement about winning her AEW debut, and she hopes Tony was watching and proud of her. And, and, and nobody cared about what she was saying, and then she knocked New Jersey, and she got a little, ah. And then as soon as that happened, music played, and here comes Deanna Perrazzo. And she's been an independent female wrestler forever. Trained quite a bit with Rip Rogers. She's pretty good as far as technically knows what she's doing. But even though she's from New Jersey, I'm not sure that she's a household name yet because she hasn't been on his television and people just expect or I don't say people, apparently Tony or whatever, they just expect, oh my God, she's hometown. So it's going to be like, you know, Trish coming back to Toronto or whatever. People did know, but it wasn't goddamn stone cold busting the glass. And she cuts a promo and knocks Tony and tells Maria to tell Tony that she's going to find her because she's all elite and we're in the age of the virtuoso. And again, is it virtuoso or virtuosa? I thought it was virtuosa. Well, what is a virtuosa? I don't know. I thought she had a different spelling, but I wasn't really paying too close of attention. Well, is that like, a, is that a, the male virtuosa. and female? You say tomato and I say tomato, and one of them has a dick and one doesn't? I don't know. I don't know either. Gender-specific virtuoso, virtuosa? I don't know. Come see, come saw. I was hoping you had some come insight one, on all. this. I, was hoping I don't you... have any insight. I have not one bit of fucking insight. <laughs> I'm moving along now, but the point is the crowd <laughs> chanted something and Maria paused and then said, well, I'm not a messenger. Tell her yourself, bitch. And now we're, now we're to shit stain back to bitch slap. And she slapped Deanna and Deanna slapped her and kicked her. And Mariah rolled out and they played some music and I wrote, good God. I mean, where did Maria May come from again? Has she ever done Mariah, television before? Mariah May, I believe she was wrestling for Stardom before this. And oh, good from Lord. people who watch Stardom, they all say that she's a very talented in-ring Stardom wrestler. is one of the Japanese outlaw girl operations, right? Well, I think they may be in-law by this point. I think they're the biggest of the uh, Japanese women's no, wrestling the organizations. Nicest women in prison. That's right. And uh, some of them uh, have broken out here in the States, of course. Most of them <laughs> yeah. are from Japan. I believe she's British. So she's coming to AEW yes. via... How did a British Stardom. woman get into a Japanese girls wrestling promotion to be hired by an American wrestling nerd who's a mark for Japanese women's wrestling? Well, she was following Timeless Tony Storm, I believe, in storyline, at least. Ah. But, uh, well, anyway... I'd never so seen Queen Amarada, or whatever her name was before. I thought it was Queen Amarada? Am I right? <laughs> I'm not sure, but... 
uh, attractive woman, but you're right. Because she was so tall and she had long legs, it looked like a baby. When you said that, I saw it. She looked like a baby deer. The women's division, I mean, I don't know what you're going to do. I mean, now they're trying to bring in some talent. I've not seen too much of Deanna Perrazzo, but obviously I know who trained her and I've heard good things, but I've not seen enough. So I can't say anything. It it would have been nice if instead of just signing her and throwing her out there with a a, a green girl, and Deanna hadn't done a bunch of television as far as I know, but this other girl is completely green and awkward, you can tell. Instead of throwing them out there and having them cut promos, do a little package on Deanna. Tell us who she is. Give her a fucking six-minute, seven-minute TV match to beat somebody convincingly and maybe make a couple of comments over a period of a week or two or three instead of sending them right out there to fucking twist in the wind on a live interview with not even with an announcer in the ring to fucking steer the ship. Well, especially if you're not going to get just a monster pop. If it is someone who, yeah, they're going to get a pop because the people who know know they're a hometown person, but if there was a video leading up to something, then it would also justify why she's in her wrestling gear and why her Titantron is ready and all these other things are just prepared for her to come out here for this. Oh, no, wait a minute. It's not the Titantron. It's the Tonytron. The Tonytron. Hey, while we're talking about all this, because I don't know if you saw it. It might even be a Tony Trinitron. I may have seen it first at the pay-per-view in the pre-show. I'm not sure. But I said, oh, I got to talk to Jim about this. They aired it, I think, on here, too. Did you see the Serena Deep video? I did not. I was fast forwarding through uh, some parts of this show that looked like commercials. I may have missed it. Just when I'm ready to completely dismiss this women's division once again, this Serena Deep video of her in training to come back was serious. It was well done, not too over the top. I'll see if I can find a link to send it. Well, she she's a great tech. She spent a lot of time in OVW, trained with Rip Rogers and the whole OVW gang. She's a great technical wrestler. In ring, she takes business somewhat seriously. I thought that's why they ran her off the last time. Maybe she's been, she's been hurt, too. I don't know what the fuck's going on with these people. Maybe Britt Baker is the devil. And well, that's why she keeps <laughs> wearing that blue dress. All right, we're at the 9 o'clock hour. You know what happened at the 9 o'clock hour on AEW Dynamite this, this past week, Brian? I think I do. Well, tell me then. It was Christian Cage. And his weekly comedy segment? No, it wasn't. That was 9.01. At 9 o'clock, they were still in break because they'd gone on, droned on so long previously with the the goddamn, you know, women's interview segment. They were still in break at the top of the 9 o'clock hour, showing a commercial. Then at 9.01, up pops Christian with Dino and Nick Plain and Nick Plain's mom. And it, then Tony Schiavone's in the ring for this. And when maybe Christian might could have steered the ship a little bit better than the previous, they left the girls alone. But nevertheless, Tony asked Christian a question, and Nick Wayne's mom starts talking. And she's doing the, not only is she dressing like a gimmick now, instead of being the the hearty, wholesome soccer mom we saw when we first were exposed to nick wayne but she's talking in a slow cadence that reminds you of someone reading a second language in a babble lesson kind of sableish, right and and all four of these people are wearing black ever since christian is black from head to toe 
Nick Plain's mom is black head to toe. Nick Plain and the fucking lizard. Can't they at least let the lizard be green so we can tell him apart? He's green in spirit. Why can't he be green in color? <laughs> and again, Christian always does great promos, but this cast of characters and the whole issue and the premise. Uh, and he does the deal where he thanks everybody but Dino, including himself. And and that's a, they're going back to the same thing they've been doing since the start. The only way the lizard ever gets over is when he's the heel stooge that's being mistreated and browbeaten and the fans will chant luchasaurus and get behind him when he finally will do something about it and then you don't see him for another six months to a fucking year and he's in the same position he was last time you saw him when you see him again and this whole segment was like raw they're talking us to fucking death and it's not important Material. <sighs> anyway, would you like to move on? Yeah, I hate this Christian stuff. Yeah, Christian well, Cage stuff. Just to be specific, I was about to. Say, <laughs> I hate this Christian Cage stuff. They're you're gonna li- they're gonna clip that and you're gonna live with it until the end of time. I hate that Christian stuff. Oh, yeah. Just remember, folks, you heard it here in the unexpurgated version. Um, Renee Moxley Good was back with Ruby Soso and Soraya and the QTV girl, because now the QTV girl, since QTV is gone, she's replaced Tony Storm in the group as the the nutty blonde in the and that's what they're saying. Basically, well, the last one was nuts, but you know. Whatever the case. All righty. Would you like to talk about the evening's missed opportunity? Yeah. What's that? Take a shit and Darby Allen. They, they, they had an opportunity here, but because they have no producers that are allowed to produce and no booker that has a mind of how to present their talent, they both ended up looking like goofs, but th- this had so much potential. And with uh, why didn't they give our friend Take a good name before they introduced him? He'd never been on television before. Nobody ever heard of him. He could have been Tojo Yamamoto or Tatsumi Fujinami or Toru Tanaka. He could have been any. He could have been the great Muda Jr. He could have been any name in the world because nobody knew who he was. And they expect a Japanese guy whose name is written take a shit to get over as a top serious heel in the fucking United States of America. Could they not have given him some kind of cool name that people would actually pronounce and even try to pronounce? I think we're in the era where the people running the show are the people who love Japanese wrestling and they think that it would probably be disrespectful. There have been some disasters like when Okada came over to what TNA and Vince Russo made him. Was it Okado? Where he was in? I think it was. Yes, yes. <laughs> he yes. acted like Bruce Lee and. Well, but you but you can be respectful without being an, a fucking business idiot, and nobody is is going to be able to ever pronounce Kanosuke or is ever going to see take a shit without reading it as take a shit. So they could have just given this guy a cool name. 
the ninja warrior. I don't give a fuck what. What's the goddamn head of the fucking Japanese Yakuza? Give him that name. No, I he can't do that if he wants to go ever go back home and live well, there. Who gives a shit, right? They ain't going to see it over there. Not who gives a shit. Take a shit. Well, not take a shit. Take All right. All right, Costello. Anyway, so <laughs> they started out with good action. Darby Allen is quick and he does his shit well. And you can buy the rolling parkour from him because he looks like some skinny parkour fucking nerd, right? Which he is. And it, so it works. And take a shit is a great athlete, and for his size, he moves well, and he's quick. And they do simple things well. Old Tate gave Darby a big backdrop. And he can wrestle. They both can do the wrestling stuff. And then Darby tries to do that cannonball dive out of the ring, and Tate hits him with a knee lift in midair. It was a great spot. And boom, right there, you could have, thrown him in cover one two kick out you've got the heat going on darby right but instead instead of continuing having a match now they go to the stuntman portion of the program and take carries darby up the ramp and waist locks him and gives him two o'connor roll-ups on the ramp into a german suplex with a release on the ramp and Darby takes the bump. Nobody is counted out during all this. Darby is not carried off. Now Take rolls him back in the ring, and he doesn't go for a cover. They, well, they go to the break, and in picture and picture, he goes for a cover and gets a two count. So they started having a good match, and it was good for almost three minutes, and then nobody can stop them from sabotaging themselves. And three minutes later, when they come back from the break, Darby immediately gives Take a super stone-cold stunner off the top rope and does a cannonball dive three minutes after he was the victim of a hospitalization angle with a released German suplex on a fucking hard ramp. And then um, Take tried to give Darby a knee on the floor, but Darby moved, and Take flipped over the barrier and Darby hit him with a coffin drop off the top rope while he was on the floor. So now they they just do big moves back and forth to each other. Tate gives Darby several Germans, but then Darby is up seconds later going 100 miles an hour with roll-ups and ducks, and then Tate clotheslines him out of his shoes. So they started with a good match. They did the stuntman stuff, and now they've gone full indie. It just back and forth relentlessly. Take gave Darby a full German suplex off the top rope, but didn't even cover him. Darby bounced over and rolled up on his knees, and he's on his knees in front of Take, motioning for Take to give him something else. I want some more. Bring it. So Take gives him a run and knee. It knocks the shit out of him and covers him one, two, three. What the fuck? Who does these fucking finishes? My God! The babyface, it not only is beaten flat with no out whatsoever, but not only, but he's made to look worse because he's the idiot that asked for it. Not only is he German suplexed off the top rope and still has enough presence of mind to get up on his knees and look at the guy, 
But then he says, is that all you got? Give me some more. So the guy gives him some more. Bam! Bitch slaps him. Knocks him right out. Colder than a banker's heart. Beats him one, two, three. So the heel didn't cheat. <laughs> they beat the baby face flat after Darby not only withstood everything, but did everything he could do. And the baby face is an idiot for kneeling there asking for it. And the heel gets no heat because he just beat a fucking guy up. Who the fuck does these goddamn... Take a shit, shouldn't know better. English is a second language. He's just been here a short time. They're not telling him, okay, for your own career and your benefit, you could potentially be a WWE star one day. You have the size and the presence. They're not telling him you need to learn to work a different way for the United States to get over. They're having him do his shit that he doesn't know there's anything wrong with. And Don Callis or any veteran should be helping him. But this is just bad indie wrestling booking. Lost opportunity. What the fuck? I digress. Your thoughts. That Darby's so tough. That's all I could say. I don't know. <sighs> he could take a beating and then he just keeps taking that beating. And he kicks out of everything. I like him more than I do most of the roster. I like Takeshita. But this shows uh, a lot of potential that it could easily be channeled in the right direction. How many singles matches has he had on TV since he turned heel? Uh, We just remarked that like the week after him, the week after, and then we never see him. And then as soon as we remarked, we never see him. They gave him this one. All right. And he, and he takes him everything he can do to beat a 140 pound guy, but he beats him flat because, because he's a heel. So naturally he beats the baby faces without cheating. The heel should beat the 140 pound baby face by cheating after not doing everything else. He fucking knows that doesn't work. But nevertheless, speaking of bad indie wrestling, the next match was a tournament to establish the number one contender for Eddie Kingston's new Continental Breakfast Championship. With Trent versus Brian Cage versus Brian Keith, who looks significantly different than when he starred on 60s sitcom The Family Affair, versus Viking-O a four-way job guy match for a number one contender for a title that they just goddamn made up with that shitty-ass tournament. So that took 15 minutes. Your thoughts? You know, I like Vikingo more than you do. Oh, come on. Listen to what I'm going to say. Will you give me a chance? Give me a chance. I have something very important to say. All right. Vikingo I enjoy. Brian Cage, there's something in an unhealthy, roided-up way that I kind of enjoy watching about him until he starts doing all the stuff that he probably would have done before he was on whatever he's on, allegedly. Whatever the hell's going on there, he's gigantic. What the fuck? He's only like five foot ten or something, and he's gigantic. And then, I'm, I don't know Brian Key. I don't know who that guy was. And then Trent sucks. No, I didn't watch this. I didn't think anyone was going to watch this. Why would anyone watch this? 
That's a, a question that I'm searching for an answer for. I get if you don't have the stars this week, because no MJF, no but Jericho. There's, there's, Clearly, there's got to be more stars. Where's Chris Jericho? That was a question that was not asked on this show, but no Chris Jericho here. Was Moxley on this show? Well, I don't know, because we're about to get to the part of the show where the DVR freezes on me. But I haven't seen him up till now. You would think that the vice presidents, I'm not talking about the one that's in a hospital because he got problems with his guts. I'm talking about the ones that are just taking time off because they got so unpopular and they came up with a cover story that they're going to come back with this brilliant new faction. You'd think that they would care enough about the company that's paying them all this exorbitant amount of money to come back and contribute when the chips are down and people are hurt because they're just home malingering. Anyway. So then Renee Moxley Good was in the back. Did you see the part where Hangnail Page came in and said he was mad and pissed off and he had come there to beat somebody's ass? Actually, I did not see that. I must have missed that. Well, here's what I was going to ask you, because my DVR is fixed to freeze here in a minute with what we talk about next. But he came up to her and he was yelling and he, I'm mad, I'm here, I'm pissed off, and I'm here to beat somebody's ass. And then he rushed off. Like he was going to go beat somebody's ass. Did you ever see him again? Did he beat anybody's ass? Yes, he came out at the end. The very end. Okay, well, thank goodness. Whether he beat somebody's ass is in the eye of the beholder, I guess. In the eye of the assholder. Well, the main event... (laughs) That was one of the characters of Bitch Slap, the assholder. The assholder. Yeah, and when I die, I want you to bury me face down so that people can kiss my ass. But then I might end up also as a municipal bicycle parking rack. So, I mean, <laughs> um, so then the main event was Swerve Strickland against Daniel Garcia, and I wrote seriously. And obviously, I wasn't going to pay any attention to this. However, on Twitter, I had to go back and watch the the highlight of that because the people on Twitter made point of mentioning that the highlight of this was Daniel Garcia. He's got swerve on the announce desk and he's trying to put swerve in the sharpshooter on top of the announce desk. And he was in the wrong place. And when he tried to turn him over, you could see swerve going, Oh shit, I got nothing under me. And they both just fell completely off the fucking desk in a heap. And the fans started chanting, you fucked up. And right after that, (laughs) that's where the DVR froze because they were also out of time. It was 10 o'clock. It's time for them to be gone. So I don't care who won. And Paige, I guess, came out there and at least made an attempt to beat somebody's ass since he'd made it clear he was going to. Yep, that's uh, pretty much what happened. Uh, Swerve Strickland beat Garcia. And then Adam Page, of course, has a problem with Swerve because, well, he should probably still have a problem with Swerve. And- well, yeah, because it, if, if Page drank Swerve's blood, but Swerve terrorized Page's baby. So isn't, isn't uh, Swerve still indebted to Page? Page has some getting even to do. If you drink someone's blood, but then they kick your ass. Well, no, he won that match, didn't he? Yeah, Swerve won the match. You know, no, the baby face is feckless, impotent you know, dweeb that never wins, but, you know, I I think that, you know, yeah. 
Well, another banner uh, dynamite. Another wonderful, great episode of dynamite. Well, I know you've been waiting for this segment. So before we move on to a, across the street to the other promotion in town, what were the ratings on this indie wrestling fiasco that they presented on national cable on uh, the previous, uh, the last Wednesday evening? Well, Jim, I have them right here. The AEW Dynamite ratings on TBS Wednesday, January 3rd, 2024. On average, was watched by 801,000 viewers. Oh, so usually it's 840-something or 820-something or maybe even 860-something, but now it's just eight. So where did we start and where do we wind up? Well, we started with quarter one. These were compiled by WrestleNomics. A recap of Samoa Joe winning the championship and a promo interspliced in. The Adam Cole and the Undisputed Kingdom live promo. And their angle with Bullet Club Gold and the Acclaimed. 1,063,000 viewers. Holy Jehoshaphat. So they're up over a million to start, but wait... Their average is 250,000 less. Where the fuck is this going? And I actually do want to say something, because I watched this live, and then I went back to watch certain things after the fact on my DVR. The first minute of my DVR at 8 o'clock is the final minute of the Big Bang Theory. Well, you know, I always see the same thing, and I just, as soon as it picks up, I just fast forward till they get into the... AEW show, but you're right, they are lagging a bit across the top of the hour with the big bangers. Uh, it, it, are, are you suggesting skullduggery is here? Manipulation behind the scenes of these numbers? Well, I'm suggesting I don't think 150,000 viewers jumped off when they saw the first thing on the show. I think it started 150,000 viewers less than 1,063,000 viewers. That was the last minute of the Big Bang Theory. And then those viewers going to do whatever they do with their night. What else, what else makes sense that that many people every week, or not every week, but specifically this week, immediately tune out? They don't even know what the show is going to be yet. They're not there for the show. They're there for the other show that goes one minute long into the next show. So what is the formula these days for getting credit for a quarter hour? Because back in the old days, back 20 or 30 years ago, it used to have to be a certain number of minutes before you got credit for the whole quarter. I guess also, well, no one, I was going to say the question would be what happens if you DVR the Big Bang Theory, but it's in reruns. I mean, I don't know who's DVRing it right now. <laughs> I think you could probably find out the finish fairly well, I guess Easily, the right? other the other question, and we'll get to the rest of these ratings in a moment, Jim. How much more successful do you think AEW would be if Seinfeld was the lead in? You know, or the Office is well. What because I love Seinfeld. I I don't I'm not interested in the Big Bang Theory. I've tried to watch it and eh. love Seinfeld to death. What was the other one you mentioned? The Office. The Office, The Office grew on me, even though I didn't see it from the start. And now I, I love that. But they've been shown over and over and over. I'm astonished that reruns of The Big Bang Theory can get a million people when it's constant. And I don't know, I don't know what the numbers are on The Office or on Seinfeld, because Seinfeld's now on 
uh, Comedy uh, Central, I believe, or is that The Office? And where's Seinfeld's on something else? But they they air constantly. How can each individual episode, do people just like potato chips? I guess I do the same thing. I just put it on. Well, let's go to quarter two and see what the rest of this show, uh, what the story it tells is. Quarter two, 8.15, 8.30 p.m., the Eddie Kingston video, the Daniel Garcia promo, and the start of Orange Cassidy versus Dante Martin with Picture in Picture, 858,000 viewers. So again, there's 205,000 viewers in 15 minutes. So it's the same thing. This is just a more egregious case this week. Quarter 3, 8.30 to 8.45 p.m., the continuation of Pockets versus Martin, the post-match with Private Party, Tony Storm's promo, an ad break, House of Black's promo, and Swerve Strickland and Prince Nana's promo, 808,000 viewers. Oof, and another 50,000, and there goes 255,000 in the first 45 minutes, but that the first number, as we said, has to be artificial because then we come down to the 800s that they normally place in each week for an average go ahead and by the way boy howdy even if they didn't if they did care about what adam cole had to say none of it had a bearing on whether they stuck around did it well we got a quarter four 8 45 to 9 p.m mariah may versus queen Aminata. With picture-in-picture picture ads, and the post-match with Mariah May and Deanna Perrazzo, 780,000 viewers. That's kind of a gift to only lose 28,000 when they didn't know who almost anybody involved was. And it wasn't very captivating. Again, what got on this show this week is questionable. The big nine o'clock top of the hour. Remember, they were in break for a minute. That's right. The big nine o'clock hour, nine to nine fifteen p.m. Quarter five, an ad break. Christian Cage and his family live promo. Soraya, Ruby Soho, and Harley Cameron's promo, and the start of Kanosuke Takeshita versus Darby Allen. Seven hundred and seventy-seven thousand viewers. I'm about to say they lost 3,000. That's about the same, but it, this, this is not going in a good direction, is it? No, it is not. We go to quarter six, 9.15 and 9.30 p.m., the continuation of Takeshita versus Darby Allen with picture-in-picture -picture ads, an ad break, and the Don Callis family promo, 733,000 viewers. <laughs> 43,000 more. No, 44,000. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, Darby and, and take was, you know, had a lot of potential, but it wasn't anything different than anything they normally do. And these people are not caring about this program in general. Well, we got a quarter seven, nine 30 to nine 45 PM. Trent Beretta versus Brian Keith Good Lord. versus Brian Cage Good Lord. versus he ho del Vikingo. Good Lord. With picture and picture ads and the post-match with Eddie Kingston, and Matt Menard, <laughs> and Adam Page's promo, oh no, this is, a whole this is the other segment, Adam Page's promo also, 
729,000 viewers. I was going to say, if they stayed over 700,000, I was going to say they should be doing cartwheels. Um, so they're officially down 334,000 people from the start of quarter one. Where do we go in the final chapter? Well, the final chapter also has a five-minute overrun. <laughs> a five-minute coda. <laughs> 9.45 to 10 p.m. quarter eight, an ad break, Daniel Garcia versus Swerve Strickland with picture-in-picture oh picture ads, 690,000 viewers. Wow. And finally, the five-minute overrun, 10 to 10.05, Garcia versus Strickland continued, with Adam Page coming out, 713,000 viewers. And we can obviously throw that out like we do every week, because... 23,000 people didn't just go, oh my God, they've only got three minutes of their match left. We've got to watch instantly. That 801 is misleading. Yeah, well, if you do what we started doing last week and you take out the first quarter and you take out the overrun, they still went from 858,000 to 690,000. But they're... Their million people in the first quarter artificially inflates them to an average of over 800,000. But good Lord, if you take the people that were legitimately trying to watch this show, they still lost, like I said, 160,000 people. And if you take the first number seriously, by the end of the regularly scheduled time period, they had lost 375,000 people. Well, Jim, on average, taking out quarter one and quarter, well, not quarter, but the overrun, so quarters two through eight, the average was 767,000 viewers. Yeah, and that sounds about more like it. <sighs> and there are people Who? defending it. There are people saying there's always strong competition. There are people saying, hey, they were still number two on the night. Hey, the network is still happy. You hear all these things. How much of a decline do you need to continue to see, both in terms of what's on TV, but in terms of data, you can't dispute. People tune out the show. They see what's on or what's next, and they say, enough, and they leave. They're not going anywhere. They're home. It's Wednesday. It's not Thursday or Friday or Saturday. It's Wednesday. People are home. It's Wednesday, and you know what that means. I mean, these numbers are awful, and there's no star power. There's no star power. That's what I was going to ask you is, I know MJF is hurt and, and they have other injuries, but where did everybody suddenly go that we would give a shit about watching? Am, is, am I missing? So who am I not thinking about? Brian Danielson is someone we've considered a top guy. I don't know if he's going to really pop anything right now. I mean, I guess he's done good in his main event matches on Collision, but that's still a smaller number. Moxley's probably been overexposed. The Young Bucks are away for a reason. Omega's on the DL. Ibushi's on the DL. Osprey signed and then said he signed so he could spend more time at home with his family in England. So I, so I really don't know. <laughs> so I really don't know exactly what's happening there. It's billionaire's money, so I wouldn't have to go to Japan and actually work for it. FTR are a tag team and they're main eventing on well, collision. I mean, and, and again, Osprey is going to, unless they build him, nobody knows who the fuck he is except the people that are already watching this show. And not all of them, to be honest. They could build him, but they could build anybody. If they tried, they, they, didn't, they don't know how to do that. 
So Osprey is not going to be a solution to the ratings malaise if he's treated like every other schlub in his company. I have some friends of mine that were in Newark for the show. They were there live. They all said that the crowd treats Swerve Strickland like the biggest star there. Well, then they need to give him some kind of focus and direction and support. And and stop trying to... They're fighting against the tide. They're bailing water back into the sinking ship. If he's that popular and they keep making him an outright heel, Steve Austin wasn't an outright heel. He wasn't fucking people for the fun of it and terrorizing babies. He was standing up for himself at the expense of people who were trying to fuck him. So, and again, have somebody try to fuck swerve around that the people are supposed to be on his side and let him do something about it. Instead of having him do all these heinous acts to cripple people and scare children, that is it just there? Are they just cheering him because it's so preposterous? They like his in-ring moves, and they like his attitude, and his coat, maybe. I don't know. Not his dancing. But he's the most over guy there in a company of a bunch of people that aren't over, or people that used to be over and aren't over as much, people that were over with their crowd that aren't over as much, people that were over and then Tony booked them. They're not over. He's over. So move over, Rover. Hey, that's... And let uh, somebody else take over. That's from Bitch Slap. I know Bitch Slap. <laughs> Well, those were the AEW Dynamite ratings for the 3rd of January. It can only go up from here. Well, Brian, before we launch into a dissertation on the WWE SmackDown, what in the world is going on at that bubbling bowl of burgoo that you call great programming at the Arcadian Vanguard Network? You see, I don't know if that's a compliment because I'm not a big bubbling cheese fan. Okay, no, there's no cheese in Burgoo. What's in Bur- What's Burgoo? Burgoo. I remember I've told you my favorite Kentucky stew. Oh, it's a especially stew. Especially from at, at Mark's Feed Store. Well, it's not a soup. It's not a stew. It's Burgoo. It's it's the vegetables and the the spices and the meats, the smoked chicken and the the beef and the just the various things. It's a Kentucky tradition and it's a bubbling bowl of goodness. That's what you have over there at the Arcadian Vanguard Network. All those programs that you have simmer in a pot and bubble over with goodness. Yeah, we'll get back to that in a second. So what's in the See, burgoo? I could, do, I could do Tony Khan better than Tony Khan at a fucking press conference. What's in the burgoo and do they deliver interstate? Well, you don't know what's in the burgoo. What do you mean? See, that's the thing about it. It's kind of like Soylent Green. That No, they won't tell you. They, I mean, certain things are highly identifiable. There's some peppers and some corn and some different vegetables that you can identify. And you know it's their, their excellent smoked uh, barbecued chicken and some various meats. But there's also the spices and the peppers and the whole thing that blends together. No two burgoos are alike. It's like snowflakes. And it comes from back in the in the old days in the pioneer in the Daniel Boone day. You know, Daniel Boone was a man, yes, a big man, and he fought for America to keep all Americans free. And back in those days in Kentucky, those days, yeah, back in those days, they could play fiddles though back then. 
uh, what they would do is they would take all the vegetables that they had and all the, the various meats, the squirrels and the, the opossums and the, the raccoons and the, the, the various succulent meat parts of your woodland creatures and they'd throw it all in a big pot in the middle of the village and make the burgoo. Can't believe I've had to educate you all on right. this again. You got you got the burgoo at Mark's Feed Store, I think, is is fabulous. But there's there's different kinds of burgoo all across Kentucky, and they all have their various merits. All right, you can get that at the feed store, ladies and gentlemen, with all the other well, bird it, it, feed it's, it's, and it's, whatever it, No, else it's they have. actually, you could. It was named that because when I was a kid, the, the original location is right down the road from me here. It was a feed store with Mama Cornette and I used to go to get salt blocks to feed the deer out back and alfalfa when we needed to make bedding for the puppies or, or sow some grass seed or whatever, get the straw and throw it over there. And it was a feed store. And then they renovated it and made it a barbecue place. And now there's several locations around town. I was so fascinated with little Jim Cornette's small town life. <laughs> I mean, that's where you you went over to the feed store. It was Hancock's feed store back then. Of course. It was Mr. owned Hancock. by Mr. Hancock. Of course. Yes. Of course. <laughs> and they, they've still got the sign over there at, at Mark's feed store. Now that it's a I wouldn't eat there for the first several years because I remember what it smelled like inside when it was a feed store. But it turned out they 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 cleaned it in between. Well, it'll be clean and it'll smell good on the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network this week. Get information about all the shows on Twitter at Super Podcast or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Arcadian Vanguard. The latest episode of Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian Solomon is out right now with Mr. Jim Cornette as his guest. Episode 100 here Who today. the hell did he ever beat? Well, find out for yourself at suawpod.com or look for Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian Solomon wherever you find your favorite podcast. Here, Jim, a very different kind of interview. Check it out today, Shut Up and Wrestle. Also want to make mention of Stick to Wrestling with John McAdam. They begin their deep dive look at the national expansion, the WWF in 1984, 40 years ago. Hear it today at mcadampod.com. Look for Stick to Wrestling with John McAdam wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Of course, the wrestling news. Get your wrestling news every day for free. Delivered right to your phone or wherever the fuck you get your shit from the wrestling news. Get it directly from thewrestlingnews.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Look for Arcadian Vanguards, the wrestling news. No course, reason to be a potty mouth about it. And of course, the 605 Super Podcast, the membership. Go through the archives today, 605pod.com, available wherever you find your favorite podcast, the 605 Super Podcast, The Mothership. Yeah, you did that when I felt like the guy in the old, what were the speakers? Oh, God damn it now. They weren't Bose. You remember the guy Maxell? in the chair? Well, the guy in the chair, it was it was the Maxell cassette tapes where the guys in the chair and the, the sound from the speakers is blowing him back across the room because it was such high fidelity. Yours wasn't high fidelity, though. It may have been high, but it wasn't fidelity. I just got some brand new audio cassette tapes. Well, good. But where did you get them from? There was a company making them and they made their little players and recorders and now I can make little comp tapes like I used to. 
in the old days, and I could play it on my house intercom system. It's a wonder. Okay, well, that's what I was going to say. You're just, you're not just buying some old commercial. You're actually doing it the way that you're supposed to with cassette tapes and making your own. Yes, that's right. I never saw a reason to buy commercially released cassette tapes. You buy the record, and then you record in much higher fidelity on your home cassette system what the, the the tape in the order in which you want it. Now, I do have some commercial cassette tapes. There are some that I have. It's just easy, and I think some people look at the convenience of, I could just buy all these Miles Davis cassettes, or I could sit here and go through all my records and spend time on this. Well, but that's the thing is you buy these things. In my estimation, the commercially released cassette tapes sounded like they were recorded on duct tape. You had to get the, you had to have the high quality turntable with the diamond stylus and the, the high quality cassette recording deck with the cute peak level meters with the uh, LED lights that would flash in the dark room. And that whole apparatus. What would you think of 8-track? Oh, pish-tosh. That was the outlaws of, of <laughs> tape-recorded music. That was a mud show. Come on. <clears throat> it, it would just switch around. Nobody, right in the middle of fucking Freebird. It would just fucking stop and go... <clears throat> and then start again. The fuck? Just like the real band. Hey, well, um... Let me ask well, you... Yeah, well, yes, yes. You, um... You said something, and I don't remember what it was now. Forget well, good. <laughs> you're welcome. Because it shows that you're not paying attention. You should be paying more attention to me. That's why I had to explain Burgoo to you every five years or so. Every five years. I forget it because you don't send any samples. Well, I'm not going to send goddamn a liquid edible food stuff in my, in my goddamn boxes I use to send action figures out in. I'm not prepared for this. Look him up on Gold Belly. I will take a look. That All sounds right. like a good. Uh, that sounds like a plan. Uh, what do I look up? Burgoo Feed Store. Yeah, there you go. Either that or or get an Uber because they do Uber Eats or Grubhub. One of those. Just have them pick it up over at the feed store and drive it up to you. Is it spelled the way it sounds? B E R G U. Oh, for heaven's sake! How in the world did you get Burgoo? B E R G U for B-U-R-G-O-O, Burgoo. Oh. Naturally. Are you looking this up now? No, I, this is one of those ones my hands are down and I'm waiting until later. Your hands are down? <laughs> my, my hands are down, officer. I haven't done anything. Now I'm going to wait till later to uh, do my deep dive into Burgoo on the World Wide Web. Oh, God damn See what kind of trouble this gets me into. All right. Well, you, while your hands Express are... VPN. While your hands are down, uh, potentially like some of the audiences lately over at <laughs> AEW and you're sitting on them, we got to talk about the WWE SmackDown in Vancouver on January the 5th. This is when it was broadcast. And already we're seeing changes. In, uh, the, the new uh, ownership has promised all these changes, and they've re-racked the announcers. We're down to two-man booze. Was that, was that the, the final straw for Kevin Dunn? Um, when they uh, went back to two-man booths? Uh, probably, well, because, you know, he wanted Michael... Uh, Kevin Dunn wanted Michael Cole to do play-by-play -play on his morning shower. He just, he wanted him on every show, so... And uh, he, uh, the... the, the um, 
Oh, goddamn! I don't know what his name was, but the executive over there at the, at the big umbrella group, old TKO, that said, we've dealt with producers that treat every camera like a baby. Maybe they said we're, we're going to, and, and it's a positive move. There shouldn't be three people in a goddamn announce booth on wrestling unless it's a guest color guy that's also some type of talent. And then not all the time. But nevertheless, I find it amusing that we've got Tony Khan, think about this. Now that from his own lips, we know these things, that he was sitting writing AEW Dynamite, maybe not AEW, but Dynamite, you know, Monday Nitro, Wednesday Dynamite, in the back room of the fucking classroom when he was 14 years old in school. And when he actually, at almost 40, was given an unlimited amount of money by his father to do this, he didn't think, you know... It felt good when I was 14, but let's revisit this. Let's let's maybe update some of these ideas or see if anything needs a once-over. No, at 14, he got it perfect, right? And these people come in and go, you know what? Maybe it it's not... So I'm not talking about them changing the wrestling, and hopefully they won't do that in any, any material degree. But maybe this is not the only way to present this on television and the, the two-man booth is a positive and something we didn't notice that i heard about afterwards because i didn't want to sit through three hours of raw to review the rock was that they had the two announcers start in the ring addressing the people rather than just the miscellaneous you know goddamn little on camera in an entrance and you know whatever i missed that too i read about it but the point is, I said last week on one of these programs, or sometime since we've been back from this break, wouldn't it be amazing if they would change it up a little bit where there's announcers in the ring running the show and it's presented more like a sports television program and, and, and somebody's at least holding the microphone. Some of this shit actually may be scheduled to happen. So when the surprise shit happens it's even more of a surprise because it wasn't scheduled to fucking happen you can't do that deal at all anymore remember we don't have this on the format this isn't scheduled because nothing is it just fucking happens right so it and, and maybe the small changes because there's some more shit in this program smackdown that's gonna just fucking happen but I, it, I'm just saying maybe they're they're willing to take a look at this and maybe make it a little more like the UFC presentation, which is more sports-like in its its feel or flavor or whatever. What do you think? It's interesting that these changes are happening. They're apparent if you watch the show. We missed. I missed the first one. You did too. But there's other things. A two-man booth. Coincidentally, Kevin Dunn. It's like by the way, he decided to leave today. Today's his last day. Just decided, spur of the moment, today's the day. I'm out of here. Like Vince, seven, what was it, 77, had a great life. Time yeah. to retire. Yeah, for six months. Uh, but anyway, so the SmackDown program, they obviously recapped Rock on Raw. And he was responsible for umpty hundred million social media, whatever the fuck's. And then they go to the back where the limo is pulling up and the door opens and out comes Roman Reigns and Paul Heyman. And the 
intrepid lady interviewer, I can't remember her name, comes up to ask him a question, and at least on the feed I watched, they they didn't feed her audio somewhere they should have, and you couldn't hear what the question was. And then Roman and Paul, not knowing that, because I'm sure it was a pre-tape, they were supposed to roll their eyes at her and just blow her off. So we, we didn't hear the question and then they rolled her eyes and walked off. Is that what you got? Pretty much. Well, there we go. Caleb <laughs> Braxton, I believe is her name. Well, the, okay. But the who now? Sheila? Kayla. Kayla. <laughs> no, Sheila Braxton. <laughs> Kayla Braxton. Oh, I like Sheila Braxton better. Are they related? I don't know. Uh, maybe she could become Sheila Braxton. We don't know. Well, from now on, let's just call her Sheila. No, let's not call her that. That's not her name. Well, it is. I now. wouldn't have brought up her name if I knew you were going to change her name. Well, somebody should have before I had to. That may not be so her real name. WWE may own that name. Well, then I've done you a favor, and they're not going to sue us for copyright because I've renamed her. You haven't done me a favor. You did Sheila a favor. Or well, not Sheila, Kayla, or whatever. <laughs> See? I'm doing everybody a favor. So they have a two-man booth. It's Patrick, what's his face, and Corey Graves. And I was wondering if if Graves shouldn't be the play-by-play guy since he's the one that has a male voice. Did you? you this guy now, the the the, uh, the English guy that he gets yes. to talk more. He was hyperventilating. <sighs> That's right. I'm so happy to be here on SmackDown. <sighs> Randy Orton. That's why at one point he's Randy Orton. It's like that. The Viper. The Viper. He's a Viper. Lawler was doing better color when he had his heart attack. You know, Corey Graves wouldn't be bad as a solo. I mean, I know you brought up the perfect group as like a two-person team. And I'm not saying he's the right guy, but sometimes one person, if they have a good voice and they're knowledgeable, it's less bullshit because they have to tell the story themselves. Well, I, I, they need to find They're not going to do it. I know they're not going to do it. They know how say. to tell the story. It's better yeah, than Because I don't think guy. Corey Graves needs to be Joey Styles in Heyman's fucking friend's basement or whatever. Oh, but my God. It, Who's going to team with Butch? Oh, and, oh, Butch. And to be honest, I think they ought to have a two announcers at ringside call the action and one interviewer. To be either in the ring or in the back with, and and we don't need to hear nothing for 30 and 45 seconds umpteen times in some of these shows from people just to know that they're standing around in the back. They've, they've relied on that quite a bit. But anyway, nevertheless, here's what they relied on for the open. I wrote one of the things on the opening match, which was the finals of the tournament to determine who gets a shot at the United States title of held by Logan Paul. I wrote, I could have picked at this all day, but I just don't have time. Like Thunderbolt Patterson, if I only had time. But this was a fucking mess. And and I don't know that it was necessarily mostly Owens' fault. I think the opposite. Uh, and a lot of the, however this was laid out, but they start the, as they're about to start to match. It's it's Kevin Owens and Pablo Escobar in the finals of this thing. Sheila Escobar. Sheila Escobar, I'm sorry. Santos and, Escobar. He, you know, if this is an isolated clip, no one will get the joke. They'll just think we're making fun of the guy. Santos Escobar. Sheila Escobar is an old... Oh, she, Sheila was in the other 
the other clip. That's right. Well, we don't know. We're just anticipating that. <laughs> That's oh, oh, Sheila, you're in the other clip. Wow. All righty. Wow, where did that come? Okay. So, so Logan Paul comes out to the desk for color. And as he sits down, the bell rings, and a bunch of the LWO babyface guys that used to be with Escobar came over the railing and jumped the heel guys that are with Escobar now. I don't know who the fuck these people are. They've got unwieldy names, and they didn't get a goddamn good look at any of them anyway, and they just they just fought off, right? And then suddenly Owens hit Escobar with a super kick. And Brian, did you, did you, I was fixated. I watched the next 30 seconds, five times fixated on Escobar because I've never, I've never seen, I don't know what the fuck. Did you catch what he did? I'm not sure. Now I'm dying to hear what it was. I'm going to go watch it back. What what happened? Okay. I don't know whether he was just had this memorized and wanted to make sure he didn't fuck up or he was going through the motions because he was going to do a job or what the case was. But Owen super kicks Escobar and he sits flat down on his ass in front of the turnbuckles, but to out from the turnbuckle. And then he just reaches up and he grabs the ropes and pulls himself into a sitting position folds his arms in and sits there waiting for Owens to do the cannonball into the turnbuckle. And boom! And then as soon as Owens does that, then Escobar just rolls out like like a kid in summer camp rolling over in his sleeping bag and placed himself perfectly for Owens to climb up to the top, a completely sideways perpendicular position, not a natural bump from this bump. And then he waits for Owens to do the splash off the top rope. One, two, and he kicked out. And during that whole thing, the the expression on Escobar's face never changed. Super kick, sit on my ass. Oh, reaching up, grabbing the ropes now, boss. I'm sitting here, ass in my face. I'm going to roll over, and the big fucker's going to come down on me. Boom. It was, it was, it was, this is why he was a mass wrestler. If anybody wants to go back and watch this, it was ju- it was almost like a practice session where, hey, you do these moves, and then in between, nobody's watching. I'll just fucking get into position and then wait for you to. So at that point, now we've had the Stooges fight the other Stooges off, and we've had this super kick, cannonball splash off the top, one-two kick. And Logan Paul doing the color starts talking and they went to the fucking break. It was 45 seconds and uh, Logan Paul is still in the middle of talking. So that's what Kevin Dunn, unfortunately, was probably sitting home going, ah, they can't do a show without me. Give me another carrot. Actually, now, wait a minute. <laughs> I guess beavers don't really. Beavers don't, don't know. <laughs> beavers would be more. Well, I know some beavers that have liked clams, but it just depends. <laughs> so they come back from a break. Three and a half minutes later, they're throwing fake punches and weak forearms at each other. And of course, Owen has a broken hand and it's in a cast. So Escobar gets heat on it. And they go through another break after a while. And when they came back 
from that break, they were up fighting on the same turnbuckle as when they came back from the previous break. And they were on in and around that for a while. And then Owens gave him some kind of big move off the top and got a two count. And then Escobar laid there and just looked over at Owens and started having a conversation with him on camera. And they switched in about a second. It, it was like this guy was either lost or it confused or not giving a shit. And so finally, Owens hit him with a pop-up powerbomb and gave him one of the worst stone-cold stunners ever. And part of that may have been because of the way Escobar took it, where he just, he didn't go down to his knees. He certainly didn't fly away like Lenny Kravitz or The Rock might have done. He just bent over and kind of sold his chin for a second and then fucking t jumped up and took a flat back bump with his legs in the air. Boom, one, two, three. That was fucking brutal. Just rotten. And I'll give you a chance to comment in a second, but getting to the, the end of this thing, thankfully, Logan Paul cut a promo on Owens from ringside and knocked Canada to get some heat, which he did. And he did make a good point. It's hard to argue. He said, you're a Canadian. A Canadian can't be the United States champion. It's hard to argue with that now. And then Logan Paul got in the ring, the big heel running his mouth, and Owens took the fucking broken hand in the cast that the heel was working on <laughs> through this match and just punched Logan Paul one time, and he went down and they played the music, and that was it. Good day to you, sir. That was like three, the first three fucking segments. I like the post-match. this is the company that's winning the war. I like the post-match. I thought that was all right. Well, but... Uh, why does it take Steen, or Owens, whatever name he's using this week to stay ahead of the authorities... Why does it take him sometimes 15, 20 minutes to remember, well, you know, I'm in this match for this guy's kicking my ass back and just knock him out with a cast like I do eventually every time, either in a match or at an angle or whatever. He's done that two or three times now. Well, he needs recharge time after the match to recharge the punching power. Uh, <clears throat> Logan Paul's great. Hey, he is. That's why I didn't want to see him get knocked out. Just with boom, down he goes and he's, hey. Put some heat on the fucking guy. And from everything we see, he's a real-life heel. I guess Coffeezilla's yes. been tearing into him for a while, and he's a perfect wrestling heel. Yes, and, and they won't let him get any fucking heat. I would limit the people that fucking give him comeuppance, especially on free television, but nevertheless. Even if it, he's going to beat Owens at the Royal Rumble? Well, it, uh, you want people to want to see the match so he can't just be bitch slapped no pun intended constantly before the big pay-per-view or premium live event match or peacock special or whatever the fuck it is <sighs> but again it, it, it you know i'm excited for lwo versus lucha suits 2.0 yeah, I, I don't know who those people... Never mind. 
So anyway, they were in the back then after the break, and Logan Paul's got an ice pack on his face. He's walking down the hallway, and here comes Theory and Waller to check on him. That's the only appearance I think they made that night. And Grimes came in and laughed at him. And they all got a shoving match, and poor Petey Williams and Sean Devari had to separate them. And nothing really was said or happened, but there's going to be a match next week with Grimes and... Oh, that was Petey Williams. I didn't really, you know, I, there were, he didn't have hair now. They all lost their hair when they got out of the wrestling business. Yeah. I didn't realize that was who it was. Well, now that you say that, I could see that I could see who it is. I think that if you're going to have Logan Paul as a top heel U S champion, I'm okay with Austin theory. And they, they're obviously pushing Waller with them being with him as his flunkies, as opposed to just being out there as loose flunkies, getting their ass kicked. Yeah. At least they'll get some residual heat from him. Yeah. But anyway, speaking of residual heat, or heat in general, the next segment, I was two-thirds of the way through it, maybe three-quarters of the way, maybe almost all the way before I realized, how about you, that Bobby Lashley and the Street Profits aren't supposed to be heels. Did you have the same miscompunction about this whole situation? I thought they were heels. I think they were heels. But how can they be heels when goddamn a group of five people comes out and attacks them and beats the shit out of them? I'm not disagreeing with you. I think they were heels. I think at a minimum, they were ambiguous. You want to talk about something you rewound and watched several times? Wait a Bobby minute. Lashley. I, oh, no, I know Bobby Lashley's a married man. I know him personally. He's not, not sexually. Now, the other two. In terms of wrestling friendships, <laughs> I guess right now that's how you look at it. But I watched that Bobby Lashley getting dropped on his head thing over and over again here. Oh, uh, that's. Well, let's tell the people what happened from, from the start so they'll share in our confusion. Bobby Lashley and the Street Profits come out and they are dressed in the suits and they've got the jewelry and they've uh, Lashley is dressed. Remember, they were dressing in in athletic gear and Bobby dressed him up and he's took him under his wing, blah, blah, blah. It's a story that they've been telling. And even though Bobby's strength, as we mentioned, is not the promo, he was out there and their resolution for the new year is to take everything they deserve in 2024. And then the prophets said some things that I don't know what they were fucking talking about. And then Bobby declared that he was in the rumble, but the whole time I'm thinking, okay, they, he's reformed in effect, hurt business 2.0, same kind of flavor with the suits and the, you know, they're going to take over. It's a group, but they're obviously heels. They're dressing that way. They're acting this way. They're talking this way. And then suddenly, here's Scarlet and Karrion Cross on a screen. And then they come out of the entranceway. Scarlet's got brown hair now. I'm not sure that was a positive step in the right direction. And then out from behind them comes Paul Ellering. They're in the entranceway, but then suddenly, these two fat fucks jump in a goddamn ring behind the... Lashley and the Street Profits, and the announcers have, oh my God, they have to immediately identify him because everybody's like, hmm? Like when your dog can't figure out why you've changed his brand of dog food. Hmm? And the announcers, that's, that's AOP 
Razor and Aachen. And they jumped. So I wrote, wait, Lashley's guys are the baby faces. And one of the AOP, because even though they gave both their names, I don't know which is which, and they were all moving around the ring. One of them over and over got on top of one of the street prophets and fake punched the vicinity of his head. And then Karrion Cross jumped in and joined it. And they double power bombed the street prophets. And then, as you mentioned earlier, Karrion Cross gave a some kind of modified. At first, I thought it might were going to be a power slam, and then it turned into some fucked up F five and <laughs> dropped him head first on the goddamn mat. I mean, if Lashley was a normal human, it might have hurt him or killed him. But since he's a mutant freak, uh, you know, I guess he's he's okay. We haven't heard anything, but it wasn't because the guy didn't try. What the? F I feel bad for Bobby Lashley and poor Paul Ellering. And somebody said on Twitter, Paul Ellering had, uh, is 70 years old. And he's out there looking at this fucking shit. What the, how did they get him involved in this? Well, you remember the last time Occam and Razor were in WWE because they were fired, not fired, released. I don't know what the exact term was. They were one of the many people released either right before the pandemic or during the pandemic or after the pandemic. He was their manager. And it was a weird thing because all due respect to Paul Ellering and obviously did a lot for the Road Warriors business-wise. And he could do a good promo. He wasn't exactly like Oh, you know, that was the greatest manager. I hope he comes back and gets another run. So it was weird when all of a sudden Paul Ellering's managing these two guys. And then they were gone. In the meantime, Cross and Scarlett... Well, and, 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 and let, me, let me be fair to Paul. He, for almost the entirety of the Road Warriors run, he was a babyface manager. So he had to be somewhat uh, less flavorful than, than us heels because it didn't work the other way. Look at the... It would have been a hat on a hat to be a fucking nut but with a with the Road Warriors. Part of the problem too is his promo works better when he looks crazy, not when he just looks like a guy who's like, uh, you know, I'll come in for the taping. You know, that doesn't really. Yeah, work well, well. He, 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 I felt bad for because at least he's a star. At least he's a star. Well, what do you think, Scarlett? New and Lashley. No, and no, no, not that. No, she needs to get the bottle of peroxide back. And carrying across new hairdo. I, the fact that he has hair at all was his downfall. Will they will they get MVP to counteract Paul Ellering? Well, no, let me just say this, that with Karrion Cross, I'm officially saying at this point, there ain't going to be no L.A. Night comeback story here. We might as well call a time of death on the Karrion Cross experiment, which sounds like a 70s sci-fi movie, because he's he's done now. We've seen what the fuck. It, it ain't going to happen. If Scarlett wants to be a star in wrestling, it's going to be with somebody else, and she ought to have blonde hair. Because, you know, they're making everybody, everybody at AEW dresses in black. Everybody in WWE wants to fucking either have black hair or wear black, it seems like. My God, they're taking all of the color out of everybody. And then the AOP are two big fucking guys of the, it, what, what was that? Oh, 
the tag team that I'm thinking about, the two fat brothers. The headhunters? Well, not them, but there was an indie team. The Undertakers? Double Trouble? Yeah, there you go. They were Italian back in the the Northeast. I think Val Puccio was one of them. Um, You know, it looked the same. There's two fat guys trying to be tough, and we didn't know who they were, and there was no goddamn reason for us to care when they're beating up people that we thought they were heels to begin with. And then their shit looks horrible. The one guy just was on top of the of, of whoever the prophet was. I couldn't see. He was covered up and the other guy's fat. And just swinging his fist in the neighborhood of the guy's head. And what the fuck? Anyway, I feel bad for Bobby Lashley and Paul Ellering. One, a star of the past. The other, a star of the present who might not be a star of the future if he don't get out of this business. What about bringing back MVP? Put him with Lashley again. You got to have almost there as uh, their backup. And now you get Ellering and MVP to do promos. You had me sold until you mentioned almost. Well, I haven't heard that he's released, so I figure he has to come along. Maybe he escaped. <laughs> Maybe he escaped. All right, let's move along. They had a long girls segment. A lot of girls in that segment. And apparently it went even longer than it was planned because they... It, at 9 p.m. Eastern, the top of the hour, we I'm pretty sure we're supposed to see Paul Heyman on the screen doing the masterful promo about The Rock, but instead it was at 9.02 because the girls went two minutes over. So this was not a, a good start technically. I mean, I know they're going to have some some hiccups, but they didn't fire the whole fucking crew. They just... Let Kevin exit gracefully stage left, right? It's still the same people. They couldn't turn the interviewer's mic on. They uh, they fucking flummoxed the goddamn going to break in the first segment, and now they've got girls pulling each other's hair at 9 o'clock instead of Heyman talking about The Rock. It's not a fortunate night for him, was it? No. And that's this week on Bitch Slap. But anyway... So Heyman was in the back and he was commenting on the rocks comments when he commented on Roman reigns by indirectly commenting on the head of the table. And he said, the rock wants to sit at the head of the table, but he hasn't been invited and he ain't going to be because he's just looking for a shortcut to the headlines. And that Paul, again, he's a master and he named all the major stars that have interacted with Roman Reigns, that Roman Reigns has beaten. And it also served the double purpose to illustrate how many fucking big stars they have right now on this program. And I wrote that he also, they've spent a lot of time talking about The Rock not to have some plans. I don't know if they've got anything on, you know, paper and notarized, but they wouldn't have gone this far without some plans, but Paul named Cena and Brock and Rock and Punk and Cody and Orton and Styles and L.A. Knight. And then he still at the same time put Roman over strong. Great promo with Paul just standing in front of a blue background because why not? You're, you listen to him. It doesn't need to be dressed up. I don't know. Am I... Am I praising 
the 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 wise man too much because I will remind everybody physically compared to me who is See? older than him. Here we go. There it is. That he looks like a troll floating under a bridge, you but he's a brilliant can't help you, promo artist. We were seconds away from you, as always, complimenting the fine work of Paul Heyman for once without insulting him. And there you go, right at the very I end. Didn't, I did not insult him. He I was mean, like a troll I, under the bridge? No, I, I, was, I was making an accurate assessment. It's not an insult if you're making what appears to be an even-handed assessment of the situation. And I praised his abilities on this promo. If you look like a dead troll under a bridge, even if that is a literal statement, even if that is a point of fact, do you think you want to be told that? Well, uh, go find a dead troll under a bridge and ask him, smarty pants. I wasn't at SmackDown this week. <laughs> anyway, uh, but following the Heyman promo, we went back to La La Land because they immediately hit Purely Dreary's music. And I invoked the Purely Dreary rule and did not watch this, although they wrestle Butch. And Butch's mystery partner was Tyler Bate, but I'm not also into either Mr. Butch or Master Bate. <gasps> and oh, Tyler Bate! Butch! Uh, oh, that's... Ah. That now, guy, wait that a minute, so wait a bad. minute. That, that guy sucks so far. That was, that was, I thought that was audio that was recorded at the hotel that night. <laughs> no, that was the production meeting beforehand. Tell me what's on the format. Oh, Butch. Oh. He needs an oxygen tank at ringside, doesn't he? This isn't his thing. I be, make him the interviewer and put Caleb Braxton on commentary. Do something. They, and he could be the interviewer that the, the, the heels make fun of and bully because he's such a nerd. He could be the Sheila. She, there you go. Sheila Patrick. His name's Patrick? I think, isn't it? I thought it was Kieran it? or something. No, it's Kevin. It's Kevin Patrick. You but sure? it's now it's Sheila. Oh, Sheila. Oh, oh, Sheila. Your name used to be Kevin, but it, now it's not. <laughs> oh, oh, Sheila. So <laughs> Nick Aldis was in the back with Ashante Adonis. And it, I, I mean, I don't know where they're going with this, but we, we it was almost like we were listening to one of the AEW roster where, you know, He's saying to Aldous, I've been struggling. I feel lost. I don't know what my place is. Don't feel sorry for me. I just need an opportunity. Like a, These are professional athletes, and they're in the boss's office begging, and it's their dream to have been there. But Aldous looks at him with it being unmoved emotionally because he's the stern, he's the stern type. And uh, he says, don't worry, I've got ideas for you. So he's got ideas for the humble but lovable Ashante Adonis. What do you think those ideas are? It's not my fault they booked me with Top Dollar. I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> yeah. I just showed up. I was just there. I've served my penance. I um, I like all this a lot. I mean, at the end of the show, too, just the way he carries himself as he does these things, he's not one of these feckless general managers, and he's not too over the top with it. You still are wondering what his motivations are. He's become one of my favorite characters on this show. I will agree that he has done a good job with every. Well, he's done a good. He's done a good job with everything that they have given him and that he has done. 
I think they made a mistake at the end of this fucking program. I'll tell you why. We're putting him in that particular position. And, but but let allow me to explain as we as we get there because what we got left is the main event in this SmackDown program, and they're more economical than they are with the the time on Raw because they started the entrances for the triple threat match to meet Roman Reigns at the Royal Rumble at nine thirty Eastern, and by nine thirty eight they were back from a break and the match was already underway. And it was um, L.A. Knight and Randy Orton and A.J. Styles. And you will recall when last we left our space travelers, A.J. had turned on or just, you know, fucking been inhospitable to uh, to Orton, it was, correct? And uh, Well, A.J. punched L.A. Knight. That no, that's right. He he spun he spun L.A. Knight around and punched him, and then he shouldered past Orton, and he's got it. So they're they're not all just humble and lovable with each other here. There's some tension, is how they set it up. But still, you've got nominally two baby faces, L.A. Knight and Randy Orton, and one who was until he just sucker punched the other guy last week or whenever the fuck it was, right? Right. So. I hate having to watch these things because they, unfortunately, even with good talent, they're all the same. Two guys are going to fight while one disappears for some specious reason that you wouldn't sell whatever that long or just for no reason at all. And they do moves to each other back and forth until they're done and then they do an angle or a finish in the case of AEW, which hadn't figured out how to do angles yet. And this was just a higher level version of it because all these guys are over and they're all professionals. Uh, but you could tell that, uh, you know, when LA Knight did the, yeah, heads to the desk on both Orton and AJ, the fans like it better on AJ because they like Orton. They don't want to cheer him overwhelmingly and his fucking face bashed into something, which is why I hate it when there's two baby faces in one of these things, because you invariably split crowd or diminish a reaction. And then Orton did the thing where he drops, he just picks a guy up and just drops him back first on the desk. He did it to L.A. Knight and to A.J. and then L.A. Knight again. And there's poor Charles Robinson just standing there watching, not counting, not because it's because it's a three-way. It's no DQ, lazy booking. And Brian, you'll recall that the original three ways, the triple threat matches, it wasn't no disqualification because that's a hat on a hat. There was no need to have that. You already had a stipulation. But now it's evolved into you can't be counted out. You can't be disqualified. Anybody can help you. I guess if uh, maybe uh, can we get some assistance from the crowd? Is there a mark that would like to come in? And help us out, right? So they go back and forth in this fashion, right? And again, I zoned out. They had lots more on the floor. Everybody can work. They're doing shit to each other. We made that point. And then finally, AJ does a 450 springboard. Is that a 360 or four? He did the springboard from the apron. 
and then stood on the rope and then did a complete somersault and landed with a splash on poor L.A. Knight. What, how many degrees is that? Is that the 360 or the 450? I think it's a 450. It's the 420. Well, and maybe he was 420 before he did the 450 because he landed on L.A. Knight's face and busted him wide open. Wide smacking open. And if you go back and watch, L.A. sees as... I can't imagine what that looks like when some stupid motherfucker is standing on the top rope and doing a goddamn cannonball in the air and then coming with a splash because I've never experienced that because they didn't do that when I had the occasion to wrestle. But if you go back and look at this, Brian, <laughs> when AJ jumps and he's coming and he's coming fast in that flip and he's if coming from a good height, it looks like as he's coming down, L.A. looks like, eh, this may not be coming out even, and he tries to kind of turn a little bit to the right to take, you know, the his face away from the fucking scene of the crime there and boom AJ with an elbow apparently landed and, and gashed LA Knight's fucking forehead and boom as soon as LA Knight turns over and it kicks out or whatever the fuck you can see the trickle start and it kept going and the announcers never mentioned the word blood so th this is something they hopefully need to get clarification on from their UFC brethren. That don't the UFC announcers, when a guy gets busted open for real, say, well, say that exactly guy just got that. busted open. Yeah, they say exactly that. That's right. Yeah, so I can understand them not wanting to use the blade on the entertainment program or whatever, but you got to be able to say the word fucking blood. <laughs> Good God. Anyway. So then Orton comes back in and L.A. Knight disappears, probably happy that he's able to do that. And A.J. springboards toward Orton, but Orton gives him the RKO and cover one, two, and L.A. Knight pulls the referee to the floor. And he pulled him to the floor, and that's the last we're going to see out of him for several minutes because <laughs> he was pulled to the floor. He immediately, I guess, went into cardiac arrest. Because now all three guys were down and the English announcer needed CPR. He sounded like he was goddamn on his last legs. And they play Roman Reigns' music and out comes Roman and Solo and Jimmy and Paul. And while all of this stuff is happening that I'm about to tell you about, the announcers are bemoaning that, that well, there's nothing that can be done. It's no disqualification. Still, again, couldn't there be a pretext that while the referee is down, we're going to interfere and do some mayhem or whatever? They played music on the run-in while the referee was down. He'd have had to not only been knocked out, he'd have had to been knocked deep. <laughs> right? Well, you know, you never think I about that. I can understand him being yeah. face down on the other side of the ring. He didn't see what happened. No, we're going to play the goddamn guy's music on the loudspeaker. If the referee just hears the oohs and ahs of the crowd, it could be anything. But if it's literally the guy's entrance music, you have to yes, assume. Yes, and there's, there's a clue. <laughs> it's a clue, Smithers. Right? <laughs> but then if you establish that that foiled somebody, then one of the other heels could play the babyface's entrance music. And so, nevertheless. 
So here comes the bloodline. And Roman sends Solo in, and he fights L.A. Knight. And Roman and Jimmy get on Orton, and they get heat on the baby faces, and Solo hits Orton with the stairs. And again, they're taking their time. They're taking their time. They're not like they're perpetrating a crime. They're just doing whatever they want. There's no referee. Nobody's ringing a bell. But as we come to find out later on, a match apparently was over. Nobody's coming out to help, whether it be security, other referees, whatever. Roman Reigns power bombs AJ and shit cans him, gives the Superman punch to LA Knight, and then spears him. And then the heels roll Orton in. Now the referee's up by now, just standing around watching. And the thing that we were going to comment on, Nick Aldis has been there watching the match all along, but he's still there. And in Roman Reigns spears Randy Orton. And then Aldous ringside with Paul says, I need to speak to you. And he's not, Aldous is, he's the goddamn epitome of the cool British secret agent type, right? He's not sweating. Nothing is out of place. There's not a wrinkle on his custom made suit. But he tells Paul, not even on the microphone, just so the camera can pick it up. Tell your man Roman Reigns that he's earned a four-way match for the title at the Royal Rumble with all three of these guys. <sighs> My disdain for four ways will be expressed in a second. Here's what I didn't like what I was telling you about. Yes, Aldous is a... You don't know what his motives are, and he's a very gruff person and and he's neither a baby face or a heel you can tell he's out he's out for himself he's a corporate ladder climber he wants to be a big deal around there he's not like adam pierce that is is there for the love of the game and wants to support the athletes aldous you can tell is a goddamn republican right he's out for himself but at the same time he's and he's brand new it's just started a month or whatever ago to have him stand out there as the authority figure of the program and the general manager and the, the guy that's in charge of this TV show and wants to make money with it and do absolutely nothing while this gang of thugs completely destroys three of his top name stars? Imagine if it was Dana White. What would be? There would be some chaos going on. I'm not saying don't let the heels get heat in front of him. I said don't have him standing out there watching the whole thing and put up with it and then tell Paul that he's bought himself a four-way. Run the, If the referee goes down, run the heels down. Let them get some urgent heat on these baby faces. Roman Reigns is trying to take every single challenger he's got out at the same time. And the bloodline's on him, and there comes Aldous with the goddamn security and the referees, and he's blind. He's mad. He doesn't have to be a raving lunatic, but he's not fucking happy about this because there's three of his goddamn meal tickets. Do you see what I'm saying here? I do. It puts more urgency on the whole thing. And and then when you make when he makes the four way, he makes it out of contempt for what Roman Reigns tried to do, which doesn't make him a babyface or a heel. It still fits in with him wanting this show to be the best show because it makes him look good. But it also sets up tension with him and the bloodline of his 
real nature rather than, well, tell your man he's just bought himself a four-way and Paul do the shock face. See, I agree with you, but I actually am intrigued by the dispassionate way he handles these situations. He didn't panic. He didn't yell. He didn't say, if we lose these three guys, my show's fucked. <laughs> None of that. It I'm was- not saying he needs to panic and go fucking throw his fucking body over the top of one of them, but he needs to be more upside. I agree with you. He should be a dispassionate, cool British fucking fellow, except when his three top stars are getting assassinated, he needs to fire up a little bit, I would think, or don't be put in that position. But that's, but that's the thing is the end of the, there was no finish to the match. These guys came out and, beat these guys up and nobody tried to fucking stop them. And there was no urgency and there was no sense of a crime being committed because even they were like, well, fuck, you know, it's, it's all no DQ. It's anything can fucking happen. There needs to be more jeopardy in this type of shit for it to really get people to want to climb over the fucking rail. That's my fucking point And I'm sticking to it. All right, more Jeopardy, and he didn't even sing Greg Kinn. So we uh, won out this week. All this on Jeopardy, baby. All this on Jeopardy? I'd like to see Nick Aldis on Jeopardy. See if he can answer any of those questions. All right, well, that is a plane going over my head. Maybe it's the same one. Has has there been enough time? What are these leaflets? (laughs) Um, Well, that was SmackDown. And boy... Was Boy, it? was it. Oh, I guess we should talk about the fact this is my show, so I'm the one that has to close it up, right? I believe so, unless you want to change the rules. We will be back on the drive through your program, in a few days or thereabouts. I'm not even sure what the schedule is anymore. It may not be a five-hour edition this week, ladies well, and gentlemen. Well, why not? You never leave the house. You're up 24 hours a day. You live there. You've got a beard down to your crotch. All you do is edit audio. The last thing that... We need to do is short the listeners. I say we do five or six good hours. You know, the experience is next week. We're more than, uh, well, we're not. Actually, you could do whatever. Oh, fuck. I, I'm kind of here with you, aren't I? Fuck. <laughs> we don't need a six-hour drive-through, but it will be packed with six hours worth of content, even if it's only 90 minutes. That's right. That's like a, a marriage I heard of once. They were, <laughs> they were married for 40 years, happily for seven. <laughs> But anyway, uh, otherwise, Annette, we'll close this program up now. Thanks for listening, folks, and we'll see you on the drive-thru and back next week on The Experience. And until then, thank you and fuck you and bye-bye, everybody.